Yeah, like they think that after what they did, they could apologize and say we can make it better. I'll tell you what. Let me show you the movie they really wanted to premiere with this. Full control. Yes. Today I will show you a 2010 post-apocalyptic film titled The Lost Future. Spoilers ahead. Watch out and take care. In a post-apocalyptic Earth, what is left of humanity lives in primitive tribes without technology, trying to avoid contact with a group of beasts that transmits a disease that transforms the victims into mutants. One day while hunting, Savin goes out of what the elders have assigned as hunting grounds, claiming the elders gave grown too cautious with their age. However, his father, Chief Yuri, finds him and scolds him for putting the whole village in danger, reminds him they've only been eating leaves and berries for days and he wants to prove himself as the best hunter and future chief, so Yuri decides to give him a chance. As they go deeper into the forest, they come across Caleb, who has been tracking an animal for food. They've gone too far from the hunting grounds and Yuri wants them to go back, but when they hear an animal nearby, he allows them to go just a little farther. Soon the beast appears in front of them, which is some sort of mutated sloth, and to Caleb's frustration, Yuri chooses Savin to guide the attack. Working all together they manage to kill the beast even when is much larger than them, and Yuri declares the heart will be shared by both Savin and Caleb because it's thanks to both of them that they could acquire meat for dinner. Suddenly, one of their friends comes running from the forest, looking infected and already turning into a mutant. He wants to be put out of his misery, but Savin doesn't want to do it. It's a flying spear coming from the forest that ends up killing him, making Savin furious. They decide to return to the village then, unaware that a mysterious man called them all is following them. Durell rushes to receive Savin, praising him for his hunt, and a jealous Caleb is left being teased by his sister Miru, who tells him he doesn't have a chance with her. Yuri talks to the elders and then tries to convince them of taking the tribe somewhere else since obviously the mutants are approaching their area, but the elders refuse, claiming they've always been safe here and there's nowhere else to go, so they should leave it up to God's fate. Caleb wants them to choose his own fate, like his father Jared did while searching for the truth, but the elders just tell him that's how he found death. Yuri agrees, it's impossible for more survivors to exist out there, just disease and death. After talking to his sister about their father, Caleb decides to leave the village and search for the truth, which Miru doesn't believe in either. He doesn't get to go very far though, as soon as he makes it to the river, he sees a group of mutants making their way to his village, so he decides to go back as well to help. The mutants attack the tribe and the warriors immediately meet them with their own weapons, starting a vicious fight. While the men do manage to kill some mutants, their numbers still are much larger, so the elders call for everyone to enter a cave where they can hide. As Savin watches how the mutants kill and bite his father, the elder orders the youngsters to close the cave because the beasts are about to reach them and they don't have time for any remaining people to join them. The boys obey, leaving Caleb, Savin, and Durell outside. Durell is attacked by a mutant and Caleb quickly saves her by killing it, but Savin is the one she hugs afterward. The three of them hide behind a big rock and watch the mutants wander around the cave, searching for a way in. Savin wants to distract them and attack them, but Caleb thinks they should go searching for help, and Durell agrees, staying here only equals death, there's nothing they can do. Leaving at least equals having a chance, small as it may be, so Savin gives in and follows them out of the area. After wandering around for a while, they stop by the river, unaware that Amal is watching them again. Savin finds a book in Caleb's bag and he has to explain what it is, an object from the old world that his father brought him and he used it to teach him to read, which nobody in the tribe knows how to do. Their conversation is interrupted when suddenly, a mutant appears not too far away, so they start running away again until they are at a safe distance, or so they think. The mutant quickly catches up with them and attacks them, but Savin doesn't want to defend himself because he realizes it's Yuri, who has been taken over by the infection. He's saved by Amal, who finally shows himself as he kills the beast, reminding them that wasn't Yuri anymore. 
After confessing he used to know Caleb's father, he asks them if their noses are okay and not bleeding, because the infection isn't only transmitted to a bite. Biting makes it advance fast, but breathing near them is also enough to get it and become a mutant in a much slower, agonizing way. As Amal takes them back with him to his home, he explains he's immune to the infection thanks to a cure in the form of a yellow powder that is very hard to get. He also makes them cross a river to reach his place because they're safe there. The mutants are scared of water, and that's why the beast never reached Amal's home, which is in the ruins of an old building. Once there, Amal introduces them to his son Persk and his wife Nina, who is furious with him for having brought infected humans to their home, but Amal thinks it's worth the risk. While having lunch together, Amal tells the story of what really happened to the group, who believes it was a punishment from God, actually, man tried to bring extinct animals back to life, and with them, they also revived a disease they couldn't control. He knows all this thanks to Caleb's father, whose ability to read allowed him to research the matter and create a cure in the form of that yellow powder. If you've already turned, the powder is useless, but for those who just got infected, it can cure them. Sadly, Jarrett died before he could take the powder back to the village and it was stolen by a ruthless man called Gagan, who now keeps it to himself. Amal wants to guide the group to the abandoned city where the powder and possibly the formula is hidden for Caleb to decipher, and the group agrees. When night falls and everyone goes to bed, Nina hears some noises and decides to lock the door. Caleb hears some noises as well and wakes up to find Savin and Darrell making love. He can't help staring at them, and when Darrell notices him, she stares back until he turns around. Back in the village, the mutants grab some of the weapons the bodies are holding and start using them to hit the wood that covers the cave entrance. Miru thinks they should be trying to do something, but the elder wants them to do nothing but pray. Remy doesn't accept this and starts moving some smaller rocks at the back of the cave, which the elder doesn't approve of, claiming it goes against God's will. Miru thinks God shouldn't blame them for surviving and begins helping him dig. When they finally make a hole big enough, the two of them plus Yomak cross to see what they can find. There is a small tunnel filled with water and a breeze coming out from it, but the gap is so small only Miru could fit through it. She gets in the water and tries to swim through, but quickly comes back when a bunch of leeches attaches themselves to her body. The boys help her get all of them off, and once she's clean, she decides to try again, because they've come too far to give up now. Meanwhile, the elders are at the cave entrance, watching the mutants through the gaps in the wood, and one of them slips its hand under it to grab them. They quickly kill the beast with a spear, but the elder's nose is now bleeding, a sign of infection. The other person who is starting to nosebleed is Yomak, who has crossed the underwater gap with Remy after Miru made room for them. They find a tunnel that goes outside and start to climb it, only to discover there are mutants at the end. They go back down, but they do it so fast and clumsily that Yomak falls and breaks his leg. He doesn't want to be helped though, because it would cause them to slow down and allow the mutants to get them all, so he stays back as bait while Miru and Remy run away. They cross the underwater gap without issues and after eating Yomak, the mutants try to follow them, but they are held back by the sight of water. When Miru and Remy make it back to the main cave, they discover most of their fellow villagers have gotten sick, displaying the symptoms of the disease. When the elder gets too sick and asks for mercy, Remy refuses to do anything, so Miru takes his spear and doesn't hesitate to stab him before he mutates, asking the others to do the same to her if it comes down to that. In the morning, Amal and the trio leave the ruins to go searching for the powder. They take Amal's raft and the boys learn how to row since they never saw any kind of boat before. A group of mutants sees them from the hills and starts throwing rocks at them, so the group starts rowing faster until they lose them. Amal tells them of a brotherhood that used to exist before Gagan created a huge conflict over the ownership of the powder, but he knows there are a few of them around, so when they get to the shore, he wants to light up a beacon to see if they'll come. While he is up in a tower starting a fire, a group of mutants approaches them, so Amal tells the trio to run as he comes down and fights them. Caleb doesn't want to leave him, but Savin thinks it's too dangerous and drags him back on the raft with him and Durell as Amal falls into a hole and the mutants try to get them there. 
One even falls in the hole with him, and Amal stabs him with an arrow. So now he's stuck in the hole with a mutant body on top of him. Unaware that the Brotherhood has seen the beacon and is coming for them, the trio gets away on the raft as they discover Durrell is starting to nosebleed too. As the Brotherhood finds and rescues Amal and he tells them he's found someone that can read and should be protected, the trio arrives at the ruins of an old city. They discover the people here are living under a strict tyranny, and when one man runs away after getting whipped for stealing, the trio approaches him to ask him some questions about the powder. The man considers those questions too dangerous though, so he runs away again, and Savin tries to catch him. Unfortunately, he loses him in the way, and when he comes back, he finds Durrell and Caleb being taken away by some guards to see Gagan and his daughter Giselle. Gagan doesn't want to share the powder, so Cobble explains he's the son of the creator and he can read as well, so he can make more. Gagan still refuses to give it to them, wanting to save it for his future children and grandchildren, but he does give him the opportunity to go to the library and try to recreate it while Durrell is taken to isolation. Once Gagan is gone, Savin sneaks into the room and talks to Giselle, asking her to take him to the powder. At first, she doesn't want to help because she's afraid of her dad, but after seeing him being so ruthless to visitors, learning he stole the powder from an innocent man, and hearing Savin talk about giving hope to thousands of survivors, she changes her mind. Giselle takes Savin to his father's safe, which can only be opened with the key he carries around his neck. Savin doesn't believe this because there's dust all over it, meaning it hasn't been opened in a long time, which contradicts Giselle saying Gagan takes out a bit of powder every day. They search the room for other hidden spots and find nothing, so Giselle comes up with a plan. At the library, Caleb finds his father's work. While he can read it, it'll take him weeks to understand and recreate it, a time he doesn't have because he's starting to nosebleed too. Gagan says Caleb can't do this and refuses to give him some powder to buy more time, but their conversation is interrupted by Giselle, who has come to tell her father someone has broken into the other room to steal the powder. When Gagan rushes there, he finds nobody in the room, but he checks the powder is okay and reveals to a hidden Savin its hiding spot, it's inside a flashlight hiding inside a wall. Savin jumps in Gagan and knocks him out, and he's about to kill him when Giselle stops him and shares the powder with him, curing him of his symptoms. The two of them rush to see Durrell and cure her too after knocking out a guard, and as they leave, Giselle gives the lantern to Savin and asks him to keep up Caleb's father's work. Savin and Durrell hurry to the library next, where they fight another guard before curing Caleb. The trio leaves the city safely, but when they reach the forest, a group of guards is waiting for them. After Savin distracts them and even fights one until he falls unconscious, the three of them get on the raft and row away until they reach the nearest shore. They go up the hills until they find a very flimsy rope bridge that they cross as carefully as possible, but things get difficult when Gagan and his men find them. Caleb is hit on the leg with an arrow, and when they reach the other side, Savin asks Durrell to help Caleb while he takes care of guards, because Caleb is the only one with the ability to recreate the powder, making him humanity's only hope. Savin returns to the head of the bridge and starts cutting the ropes to make the soldiers fall, but this gives Gagan the chance to land a couple of arrows on him and he can fall as well. Durrell and Caleb start running away and they're found in the forest by Amal and the Brotherhood, who were able to find them after they saw the abandoned raft and track them from there. Using the Brotherhood's horses, they quickly return to the village, where the mutants had started to dig under the entrance to reach the tribe. The Brotherhood has no trouble killing them all while Durrell enters the cave to share the powder right before Miru kills herself in fear of mutating. After the battle is over, Gagan finds them and shoots an arrow at Caleb that Amal jumps in front of to protect him. Furious, Caleb picks up an axe and throws it at Gagan, finally killing him. Some dates later, after taking Amal back to his home, Caleb says goodbye to his sister, who is teaching more kids how to read. He makes his way back to the city, intending to find that library again and finish his father's work to save humanity. Make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you can watch more videos like this. Thanks for watching. That is a scenario, but let's just think of it this way.
what if the infection isn't an infection? I mean, now we have all that going on, but what if it's just words, right? Because even scriptures tell you death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. This is how you, your talk is literally the future. Every human being is the character of his or her words. Uh, who you are today and who you have become is a result of your words. If your words are toxic, you're toxic. If you, your words are good, you're, you're good. In the now, you can change instantly. So this is just some food for thought. Because a lot of them now want to uh, apologize. It, it, they're at a deadlock right now. They are all in. And any time they have initiated changes in frequencies, which, by the way, I can say, I was actually quite impressed watching the Umbrella Academy. Aside, aside from, I, I really, I was, <laughs> I was so shocked to see that Jordan Peterson talked about um, Ellen Page, Elliot Page, whatever. Um, because when I saw uh, an episode, I was thinking, so uh, Vanya is now Victor. And I was like, was Vanya always a Victor? Like, was it always a male? No. So I stumbled upon an old article where now this Canadian actor is, you know, a political figure because they used to, and, and I quote the article, and I screenshot it a couple of days ago saying, oh, when, uh, you know, uh, Elliot Page presented himself as a girl, <laughs> just like what? It was so weird. Anyway, and, um, and then that came through. I, I realized one thing that in the Umbrella Academy, they had like this guy um, in, in that season where he had taken power from Vanya, which is now Victor, right? <laughs> Transgender character in the third season, right? And um, uh, he, uh, this, this guy was autistic, I think, and got some of her powers, but his superpower was listening to the things that you normally don't listen to. It's a frequency. And he was talking about that frequency within that episode, like telling the, 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 the actor, you know, that plays Vanya slash Victor, you know, no, 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 no. Don't listen to the sounds. And he said something so profound. And I was like, okay, now maybe you'll understand what CERN's all about. He said, how do bees find the pollen? And I was like, damn it. How did I never use that analogy when talking about frequencies. How do bees find pollen? Do they see it? And he said, no, their hairs are detecting the frequency of the pollen. They can feel them. And so uh, the, the, the statement I made in respects to the animal's frequency you know, the, um, the, the music that you hear, frequency, the words that you say on frequencies are spells, which make them a little bit more powerful, right? And, you know, sometimes not knowing what to say to other people 
is indeed very intimidating. And when people read or listen or hear, what is it? They say art is in the eye of the beholder. And sometimes someone will read a scripture and see one thing and understand one thing. And another person will hear or read something and think it's something else. In the eye of the beholder, which means it's how it resonates with you. So someone may be listening to, you know, uh, you know, a newscast and hear something completely different. Therefore, the infection, I might add, aside from being something that you can physically manifest, you know, monkeypox is here. They're already starting lockdowns, uh, you know, in the United Kingdom. They're just like, we have thousands of people already dead from monkeypox. I told you that in 2021. These are all physical manifestations. The real war happened a long time ago and we had lost. And if we understand why we lost, then we win. The real war was tuning your frequencies to hear what they want you to hear. So we're going to revisit some of that in things that, you know, matter to us. Because right now in Washington, we're having a lot of this going on today. A lot of this going on. Because how do you fix something that's unfixable? How do you fix it when it's unfixable? You've taken it to the level where you can't fix it. So there's two things you do. You own up to it and you deal with the consequences because nobody wants to give them any deals. Or you go all in and you die on that sword as one of the most corrupt persons and make history like that. The people will hold you accountable regardless. So, you know, This is literally the theme song this week in D.C. And it's hot. Got me ten feet off the ground And I'm hearing what you say But I just can't make a sound You tell me that you need me Then you go and cut me down Away You tell me that you're sorry Didn't think I'd turn around and say that it's too late to apologize it's too late i said it's too late to apologize it's too late she sings so beautifully right it is recompense is here you guys And it's a frequency everywhere. And a lot of people will say, well, forgiveness is important. It is. You can forgive, but that doesn't mean you need to help them. They had all the money in the world, yet they're sending out emails asking they're broke, non-binary, non-gender, non-and don't have jobs. 
people to pay them, to represent them. Why would Blumenthal, who has billions <laughs> hanging out, why would Pelosi, why would Schiff, why do they need our money? Let's remember, and I've never actually said this, well, I did at, at a speech and I've said it before in private, President Trump, when he ran, he didn't ask anyone for money. He put his own money there and then people contributed because they wanted him to succeed. See, that's how you knew he was with us and we didn't have to be with him. And unfortunately, we're seeing the GOP and a lot of people take it to the level where they're trying to make it look like Trumpism, like cultism, right? No, 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 no. See, that's not how it works. He went all in with his money and he spent every damn penny that he had for his campaign. And as he grew, right, he raised money, not him, the GOP did, right, on his back and didn't want him. So anyone ever saying this is Trumpism, people don't know where to put their money. They want to give it to Trump. They don't want to give it to them. Because he never asked for it. They keep asking for money. Pay attention. Who is asking and who is really receiving without asking? Fun story. Now, I have said we should all delve into, you know, Jesus's life before whatever you know. But he was extremely educated, went to the best schools. He wasn't a barefoot carpenter. And, you know, Mary Magdalene, which has been so maimed throughout history, you know, was a very rich person. And it was his money and her money that helped him go and spread the word. Other people just contributed. Here's my home. Here's some food. Here's some linen. Here's some coin. I want you to keep going and keep going. See, that's the difference between orchestrated and natural. In that movie that I showed, it was exactly what they wanted, right? They, I know, obviously, the Gagan guy would have been somewhere in the sky, floating or underwater, Terramar, right? Uh, you know, while everyone's eating each other, that's the sustenance. They're in charge, and this is how they continue to li live whatever lifestyle they have and expand their society to their dictatorship, as you heard. It's not that dystopic. This has happened before, and you'll see that. In 2006, our frequencies were fucked with. In 2006, we had a lot going on. I hope people read that big league uh, politics article because it refers to 2006. I think maybe if that's still there, if not, it'll be in my lawsuit at some point. And then it happened again in 2012. And now it's going to happen again next week. Energy. You run on electricity. You run on frequencies. Your cells are whole and perfect because they run on frequencies. And this is why people say forgiveness is important. You can forgive because that helps you let go of anger. It can help you stop worrying about things. It will help you reduce your stress and negative emotions. It gives you some inner peace. When you let go and you're like, you know, I can't help you anymore. Uh, you know, this is how, and these are the conversations that are happening right now in Washington, D.C., in the ranks. 
They cannot now whistle, blow, or help. I'm sorry. It's way too far gone. We reached out to you. We helped you. You attacked us. You belittled us. You spoke to us in a fashion that was not warranted. You felt like, you know, you had big dick energy, right? You were like, I'm in charge. Gavel. No more. It's done. I'm sorry. I feel for you. I feel that you were swayed with all the money and the lights and your family line and this and that. Maybe you were a broken child. Maybe you went through trauma as a child. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's not in our hands anymore. We're done. Now you have to deal with your consequences. See, nobody can fathom how, you know, For example, Adam Schiff, no one's talking about this, but someone in his family is in a lot of trouble. Same with Mitt Romney, and nobody is talking about it. But they are talking about Nancy Pelosi's because they're lining more people up because they want to do a shift, right? No, no, we can't have them overhaul this. We're all in. We are all in. I mean, how dare they charge Paul Pelosi with misdemeanor? How could that even happen? Well, it's very public. And I mean, most of these people in office have one foot in the grave anyway. There's a lot going on that people do not see. And while many of you are being told by the left and the right, left is winning, right is losing, right is kind of winning, maybe winning, kind of, this is so unfair. It is happening throughout the planet. The energy is resonating. Recompenses here. July is going to be hot as shit. August is going to be even worse. People are starting to understand things. You know, uh, Phoebe called me. You know what? I've been working so hard in person. I haven't seen Phoebe. She, she's been hanging out with her brother, right? Adult. And Hera actually came back from her stint yesterday. I haven't even seen my kids because I've been working that freaking hard. That hard. Nobody gets it. But, you know, they have other things to think about. It's so... So Phoebe was telling me about, you know, hey, you know, I had this dream or this. And I was like, see, I think everyone is getting it. Everyone is understanding. Yeah, her, my, my son-in-law. Everyone is getting it. Everyone is getting it. Everyone. Everyone is feeling it. Every single person. The FBI has just issued a $100,000 reward for a Bulgarian crypto queen. She's on the top 10 most wanted list. Did you know that? Her name is Ignatova. Apparently, she's uh, wanting in a connection of a $4 billion crypto Ponzi scheme. And the FBI is offering $100,000 leading to her arrest. Now, one could say, whoa. That's a lot. Four billion dollars. Four 
billion dollars in crypto. Wait, I thought the FBI was the one that was using crypto. Wait, it's not like she released it to the public and stole it from them. That's a question. Because there's so many people that have stolen a lot more crypto. So why are they interested in this one woman? I mean, you can trace that. $100,000 reward to turn in a person that has $4 billion worth of crypto. And if she has that crypto, where is it? Guess what? Maybe it was distributed on cold wallets and now they can't find it. Remember, the FBI uses cryptocurrency to blackmail. You know what was really funny? You remember when Alex Jones, uh, right after January 6th, he went on this like weird show and was like, oh my God, I lost a laptop where I had like so much Bitcoin and I just lost it. Now I can't find it. And it's like all gone. And then he files bankruptcy, but then he gets cryptocurrency equal to the amount that he had lost from before. So bizarre. Anyway, you know, this crypto stuff. (sighs) They need to know and have account for every single Bitcoin. I mean, how else are they going to make it the new gold? That's right. They shouldn't. Even cryptocurrency should be back with something solid, not another fiat currency. See, the FBI (laughs) uses cryptocurrency to do all their dirty dealings. And they'll steal everybody's cryptocurrency and keep it in their cash of unchecked funds so that they can do what they need to do. Sometimes I am concerned of what I say. And not because, you know, I am not 100% committed to the words I say, but because I know that depending on who's listening, uh, what area of the planet, what they're going through, whatever, they might misconstrue that it's something about them. And then I remember Luke 21, 14, 15. Make up your minds not to worry ahead of time about what you will say. I will give you the wisdom to say things that none of your enemies will be able to stand against or prove wrong. Right. But I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is the frequency that people are on and the real plague that has happened and, and, and the initial war, I would say great battle because it's not a war. It's not a war until it's over, over, and it's not over, over. But the major battle that was lost is people's senses have been retrained to hear things differently, to see things differently, to feel things differently, right? We have a different approach to things. And this is how that happens. Uh, you know, the, the, the change in frequency allows people to, to see things and hear things differently. So what they hear on CNN, they say, it sounds like music and it sounds correct and it sounds, oh my God. And then when you have other ears, you hear it differently. So why don't we take a trip down memory lane and watch a video about how incredible this product is. And I want you to think about it for a second. It's a three-minute clip. I want you to think about it for a second. Try to remember what it was like when you were listening to this 10 years ago. You don't have to admit it in public. 
but you can admit it to yourself. Think of how you saw this when it first aired and when it was first happening and tell me how it sounded to you then and how it sounds like now. Reform Obamacare does three major things for you if you're uninsured or buy your own health insurance because you don't get it from an employer. First, it changes what types of health insurance products you can buy. Second, it changes how you buy those products. And third, it changes when you can buy those products. How does Obamacare change what you buy? If the plan you have today, or buy in 2013, does not meet new government standards, you may have to purchase new insurance to avoid tax penalties. With Obamacare, any new plan you buy in 2014 will cover a minimum of 10 standard essential benefits. Things like maternity care and prescription drug coverage are standard. And Obamacare creates a minimum benefit level for every plan. So, in 2014, a new metallic rating system will make it easier to tell what level of coverage you're buying. All metallic plans must cover at least 60% of total average estimated costs for the plan's benefit package. Bronze plans cover 60%, while platinum plans cover 90%. Catastrophic plans for people under the age of 30 may have lower benefit levels. How does Obamacare change how you buy health insurance? With Obamacare, your medical history can't be used to decline your application or charge you more for your health insurance. No more complicated questions about your medical history while you wait, sometimes weeks, to see if your application was approved. You may be able to get help from the government to pay for your plan in the form of premium tax credits or subsidies. And new state exchanges or marketplaces like eHealth Insurance will open up to provide additional places for people to shop for coverage. How does Obamacare change when you can buy health insurance? In most states, there will be one open enrollment period per year when people who want health insurance are guaranteed to have their application approved. It may be hard to get approved for coverage outside of the open enrollment period if you don't have a qualifying event, such as the loss of a job, the birth of a child, a marriage, or move to a new coverage area. If you miss open enrollment and go uninsured for more than three months in a row, Obamacare can impose a tax penalty on you starting in 2014. Totally legit. I'm going to tax you if you don't have insurance. Now, let's think of insurance for a second because we talk about healthcare insurance all the time. Can we talk about car insurance for a second? Let's just talk about that for a second. Why do we have car insurance? Why do we have car insurance? We have car insurance because if we get into an accident, it's very expensive to fix our car, right? And insurance companies... Just so that you can see how the social credit score system was, was brought in slowly. I'm, I'm going to show you this. Insurance company comes in and says, well, if I can see your driving record and, uh, you know, obviously your financial history, because if you're rich, you're obviously a good driver. Get the fuck out of here. But that's actually the law, right? <laughs> right? They made it a law. So why do you have car insurance? Just in case. Just in case uh, there's an accident. Well, let's think of times where people were driving and car insurance wasn't something that they had. How did they survive? Right? How did they survive? 
look, don't drive like an idiot and you'll have a car. Hey, don't drive like an idiot and you'll have a car. I'll repeat that again. Don't drive like an idiot and you'll have a car. Oh, but what if you hit a deer? So sometimes shit happens. So that means that I need insurance to cover it. I mean, it's great to have insurance, right? It sounds amazing. So if I drive and I'm a careless driver, uh, my insurance covers me. (laughs) And they'll pay the damages for the other person's car. No, normally it's that other person suing the fuck out of you until you fix their car. Because everybody can be stupid, drive carelessly, drop something in the car and do something wrong when they know they shouldn't. And that happens. Shit happens. But again, think about it. That's how they got you in a system. This is how they collected information. This is how it is. Car insurance. Pay us just in case shit happens. Well, what if I don't want to pay you and if shit happens, I'll pay for it as it goes. If it's my fault, I will pay for it. If it's not my fault, maybe the law should have a specific court to have property damage heard between two citizens. You hit my car, you're going to pay for it. And the guy's like, yeah, make me. And it's all right. We'll go to court. That's how you do it. Why do you have insurance? Because you got to pay a secondary guy to talk to another secondary guy so that they can negotiate amongst themselves who's going to lose some of that money. See, insurance in general is a scam. You need it just in case. Oh, you're a doctor. You need malpractice insurance. We just need to cover you in case you fuck shit up. So that way you can work. You can't work as a doctor if you don't have malpractice insurance. Why? I went to school. I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anyone. And if anybody dies, maybe it happened. And sometimes mistakes happen because we don't know everything. Why does my doctor have to be insured? Just in case or else they can't work. So uh, again, I'm trying to point out the enemy that you can see yourself. This insurance is pretty interesting. But you know what happens CEO of life insurance actually said that deaths are up 40% amongst working people. Now, considering COVID happened, right? And we had the same amount of deaths that were averaging, maybe slightly elevated by like maybe a thousand a month on a normal without COVID. How are they all dying now? Yeah, it's really happening. A company called Lincoln National. It's a large life insurance firm that's quite literally so old that when it was started, the founders actually asked Abraham Lincoln's son whether it was okay to use his father's likeness in their company branding. He agreed, and over the past 117 years, Lincoln National has grown to be the fifth largest life insurance company in all of America. However, things aren't so hot right now in the life insurance business, evidenced by the fact that last year, meaning in 2021, Lincoln National reported a 163% increase in death benefits that were paid out under their group life insurance policies. Now, this development came in the form of annual statements, which Lincoln National filed with the different state insurance departments throughout the entire country. And these documents were first obtained by the Crossroads Report through an open records request. Now, up on your screen, you can see a document that they obtained, which was initially filed with the Michigan Department of Insurance and Financial Services. Although it is worth noting that even though this document was filed in Michigan State, the numbers on that document are nationwide. And so they give us a broad glimpse into what is happening across the entire country in regards to their life insurance business. And according to these records, they showed that over the past three years, 
Here's what Lincoln National paid out in death benefits under their group life insurance policies. In 2019, which was the year right before the pandemic, so it's essentially the baseline, it was a little over $500 million. Then in the year 2020, which is when the pandemic first began, they paid out approximately $548 million, which is about a 9% increase. However, in the year 2021, which was the second year of the pandemic, as well as the first year of the mass vaccination program, which saw almost 260 million Americans across the entire country get the shot, Lincoln National paid out a stunning $1.4 billion. And if you do the math on that, it works out to be a whopping 163% increase over the previous year. Now, it is worth mentioning that these annual statements that are filed with the individual states do not show the actual number of claims. They only show the total dollar amount that those claims paid out meaning that they don't actually spell out exactly how many more deaths are represented by this 163% increase. However, there is a workaround. There is a way that we can get a rough estimate of the number of deaths. Because according to the Society for Human Resource Management, the average death benefit for employer-provided group life insurance is one-year salary. And so then, all we have to do is do the math. If the average annual salary of people covered by group life insurance policies in the U.S. is around $70,000, then we just take the amounts that Lincoln National paid out in the year 2020 and in the year 2021 in order to get an estimate of the number of deaths. And after doing this, it shows that in the year 2021, there might have been 20,647 deaths of working adults, again, that were just covered by this one insurance company. And as you can see, that will be an over 100% increase in the number of deaths from the prior year. At least according to this calculation, there would have been approximately 12,000 more deaths in the year 2021 as compared to the year 2020. And again, just to mention that it's only for people that are covered by this one insurance company. However, that is not the full picture because besides these numbers for group policies, these financial documents also showed the numbers for ordinary death benefits, meaning benefits paid out not under a group policy, but rather under individual life insurance plans. And those numbers, they likewise saw a spike over the past three years. In 2019, which is, again, the baseline the year prior to the start of the pandemic, Lincoln National paid out $3.7 billion in ordinary death benefits. Then in the year 2020, it went up to $4 billion. And then in 2021, it went all the way up to $5.3 billion. Now, in terms of why these numbers are increasing so much, Lincoln National published a press release alongside these documents attributing their net operating loss to what they refer to as non-pandemic-related morbidity. Here's specifically what they wrote in their statement. Quote, Group protection reported a loss from operations of $41 million in the quarter compared to a loss from operations of $26 million in the prior year quarter. This change was driven by non-pandemic-related morbidity, including unusual claims adjustments and less favorable returns within the company's alternative investment portfolio. The total loss ratio was 88% in the current quarter compared to 87% in the prior year quarter, with the increase driven by unfavorable non-pandemic-related morbidity and unusual claims adjustments. Now, I wanted to mention that the term morbidity is officially defined as, quote, the condition of suffering from a disease or medical condition. And so, taking that definition into consideration, what the statement appears to be saying is that this spike in the number of deaths has to do with non-COVID-related or non-pandemic-related diseases. And actually, in this regard, Lincoln National is not alone. That's because not only did Prudential Insurance, as well as Northwestern Mutual, likewise show a significant increase in the number of deaths, but also, according to another investigation that was likewise conducted by Crossroads Report, there's a life insurance company based out in Indiana called One America, 
which saw deaths spike by approximately 40% in the year 2021, specifically among people aged 18 to 64, otherwise known as the working age population. Now, One America is a giant $100 billion insurance provider that has likewise been around for a long time, for the past 145 years. However, in all that time, in all those 145 years, they have not seen a death rate as high as it is now. That's at least according to a statement that was made by their CEO. Here's specifically what he said, quote, we are seeing right now the highest death rates we have seen in the history of this business, not just at One America. The data is consistent across every player in that business. The increase in deaths represents huge, huge numbers, and it's not elderly people who are dying, but primarily working-age people, 18 to 64, who are the employees of companies that have group life insurance plans through One America. And what we saw just in the third quarter, we're seeing it continue into the fourth quarter, is that death rates are up 40% over what they were pre-pandemic. Just to give you an idea of how bad that is, a three sigma or a one in a 200-year catastrophe would be 10% increase over pre-pandemic. So 40% is just unheard of. And then, just like the statement that was made by Lincoln National, the CEO of One America said that most of these death claims are classified as non-COVID deaths. Here's what he added, quote, What the data is showing to us is that the deaths that are being reported as COVID deaths greatly understate the actual death losses among working age people from the pandemic. It may not all be COVID on their death certificate, but deaths are up just huge, huge numbers. Now, naturally, the next logical question would be what exactly is leading to such a large uptick in non-COVID related deaths? Because initially... When I saw these deaths, well, I thought that these might be comorbidities, people dying from some underlying condition that was exacerbated by COVID. However, according to these statements, that does not appear to be the case because these insurance companies are making the specific claim that these deaths are non-COVID and non-pandemic related deaths. And so what exactly is going on? Well, it's not clear. And of course, I don't get into speculation. I only report to you the facts. And the facts are, according to these documents, that Lincoln National is seeing a 163% increase in death benefits, while One America is seeing a 40% increase in the number of deaths. If you'd like to comb through these documents for yourself, or if you'd like to read the original investigative pieces from Crossroads Report, I'll throw all those links down into the description box below this video so you can peruse them for yourself. And all I ask in return is that you take a super quick moment to smash, smash, smash that like button so this video can be shared out to ever more people via the YouTube algorithm. And also consider subscribing to this channel as well. That way you can get this type of honest news content delivered directly into your YouTube feed every single weekday. Now, I wanted to show you this coin right here. This right here is an American Walking Liberty one ounce gold coin. And typically I order at least one of these from our sponsor, American Hartford Gold, every single month. I wish I could afford one of those. Okay, I wish I could afford a lot of those coins again. See, it's really interesting, isn't it? Numbers tell you everything you need to know. Data tells you everything you need to know. And it's so weird. We've been talking about quantum computing. I have been throwing it out there, hoping that people see it themselves because you can't tell someone what's right or wrong. They have to see it themselves because again, it's like a painting. It's in the eye of the beholder, you know, patience. Oh boy. You know, I have a lot of patience. Patience is actually very important. And I think my patience was trained, uh, you know, being in a very, uh, it was like, I don't even know how you would call my marriage. Toxic, full of lies. You know, my ex knew that I couldn't tell him what I did. And I felt like I let a lot of things slide 
because, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to say what I was doing. And so I considered the, you know, missing money, not being whatever. I would be like, well, you don't tell me where you're going. You just leave and you go to countries and I have no idea what you're doing. And it would be thrown right back at me. Right. And I think that in a sense, cultivated a sense of patience. See, I am extremely patient. I, I'm an extremely patient person. I allow people to speak to me in ways that you wouldn't even fathom. When I know that I'm worth way more than that. And I do that because I think of um, their shoes. When you are speaking with someone, they have a history. They have a history that's their story. They were once a child. They were once a teen. They were once a young adult. They had a good family upbringing, a bad one, a toxic one. Maybe they were uh, submissive personalities, aggressive personalities, right? And you must be patient. And I, I want people to know this, that when you hear people tell you things because of the things you stand for, be patient because you don't know where their shoes have been. But there comes a point when you stand and say, you know, I don't deserve this. I was patient. I tried to help. I told you my grievances and you didn't. You use that patience as if it was a weakness. You belittled me. You belittled my citizens. You belittled my community. You belittled my housing association. And I let you do that because I was hoping that you would see that all you were doing was talking to yourself because our nation was holding up a mirror so they could see what they were doing. Here's the mirror. Look, look at what you're telling me. Look, look at what you're saying. Read your words. Listen to yourself. How can you qualify those statements? How can you qualify that legislation? How can you qualify this? And that's for the people that are patient. You know, everyone feels like they have something to prove in life. Dominance, exceptionalism, everyone feels that need. It's, 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 it's ego-driven. I mean, think about it. Like, when we're talking about politicians, like, what did Adam Schiff have to prove? Wh who is he proving it to? Think of that question. Who is he proving it to? Because he has children, apparently. Do you think his children can't see? Are they blind? I mean, they may see a version of it because they wear certain tinted glasses because that's their parents. But do you not think that they can see? I want all of you to practice patience. But don't ever let anyone get away with what they've sowed. There comes a point when you can't 
salvage anything for them. Those that are sitting in Congress right now and in the Senate sowed those seeds. Citizens have brought it up to them. They have put it forward. They had said, this is a problem. People in their states have approached their legislators, their counties, their governors, their AGs, their secretary of states. Hey, this is a problem. We're seeing this. You need to fix this. Please fix this. You have been appointed to fix this. Please do this. Please, please, please. And they talk to you like, look, I've got this big ass desk. I'm sitting in this fucking office. You're paying my salary and I get to piss on you. That's exactly how it is. Why? It's called ego. But who are they proving themselves to? Now, here's where you can see the ego go in check, right? So as you guys know, I'm on the ballot for Secretary of State. And my team is exceptional. Like, guys, I'm not the campaign. They are. I'm literally not the candidate. The people are. I'm simply the vessel for what they want. They are so incredible. So incredible. You have no idea. No idea. It is so amazing because if anyone says, oh, you know, which the the the, the possibilities just increased. But I'm I'm like you know, tearing up just thinking about it. If anyone says, wow, you're the secretary, I was like, I'm not, you are. I'm just your vessel because I didn't do all this. They did. It is so amazing. And not only do we have them in a box where they can't like throw out signatures and play stupid, right? But we just found, you know, let's start asking questions, details. And now with time limits of things being destroyed, you can tell them you need to up this shit and you need to up it up. So, you know, nobody's talking about Seidel. And if you guys remember in 2019, Seidel was a big thing for Millie Gavin and I, right? Uh, where it's a foreign company, it's doing this. And who was the one that reported the election results for 2020, right? Uh, it was Seidel through AP, of course. And then you have to think to yourself, well, how the fuck do they get the results and automatically update it live to AP? They don't connect to the internet, do they? So what was incredible is... Um, They're literally contacting every time someone asks for information. I'm going to read you an email chain that I got yesterday. Okay. I want to show it to you, but I haven't um, covered the PII from it. But it's, it's so crazy. It, it is so crazy. Um, let, me, um, let me find it. Darn it. I always lose my stuff. Like, I don't know why I keep losing my stuff. They literally put their prosecutors in an email asking what they should do. So the email starts with, um, let me see, let me go, uh, with a citizen asking a question about contracts. Hold on. And so they asked in their county for records and they asked for records of CIDL. Um, and that record went to their board of elections. And then that person 
uh, forwarded that whole email to someone else at the Secretary of State's office. This is so weird. And the Secretary of State's office representative said, I don't know what CIDL is. I've included this area's Secretary of State IT contact, XYZ. Thanks. And then that person, who's a prosecutor, so weird, says, uh, so-and-so, if we have such a document, it'll be okay to release, subject to editing any sensitive computer information, says the county prosecutor. Then the person responds, um, so, hey, the uh, Secretary of State um, uh, IT response was, CIDL is a voting system vendor out of Barcelona, Spain. You most likely don't have a contract with this company. You really don't need to respond unless your prosecutor would guide you with a proper response that would say this much. What are your thoughts? And then the person would say, the person says, hey, I would still respond that the information being requested is not held by the Board of Elections. That way you will not receive any additional requests. The information requested is not held by the blah, blah, blah. County, Ohio Board of Elections. See, what's weird is, is that the Secretary of State responded to that email and told them what to say. I'm trying for you to pay attention. Yet what's really, really weird is we have 88 fucking counties in Ohio and some of them do have contracts with CIDL, which means that some counties are being used as nodes to deploy information to a foreign-owned company, which requires a network. Why do I know this? Because their patent says so. And why do I know this? Because the USPTO says so. And what does the USPTO say? It's a foreign fucking company. So why do we have a foreign company getting contracts for our elections within the United States? That's a really good question. See, this is why I tell you they're amazing because it's not me, it's you. And when people start saying, Tori, no, 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 no. I was the first match. I'm just here to give you the tools to get shit done. So as I was digging into things, and I hate going down rabbit holes, especially when I haven't slept because I was traveling like all day yesterday. But I didn't even go to bed till about six in the morning because I was that busy, that busy. So I kind of just took a nap today, right? But here's the one thing. In a war, right, when you fight a war, and you know, I love war games. Um, my family and I, we're big fans of Age of Empires, play that all the time. So yesterday at about, I think, seven in the morning. Now, no, that's a lie. I slept around six or seven. So right before that, I played uh, an online battle. And I was like, wow, see, this is it. When I go into a battle on my video game, I will have my archers, my pikemen, my man at arms, my cavalry, my camels, my elephants, my siege weaponry, right? They will all be deployed at certain times. Right. Usually, though, on co-ops, I usually play economy because uh, I, I, I'm very good at organizing money, food, wood and everything else anybody needs. Right. So um, in in war, you deploy your armaments according to what your goal is. So some people in war in a game. Right. Let's just stick to games so people get it. You want to destroy one of your opponents and annihilate them early before they get to grow an economy, before they're able to stabilize. And a lot of people, what they do is they, they sacrifice building a stable economy to go out and just shoot 
stuff and raid things. And, and it's a 50-50 chance because you don't know what your opponent has done or if they're doing the same thing. If they're building an army and then you're met with the same type of army and if they're, you know, if they've got better weapons cache of their little pikemen or whatever, or their cavalry or whatever they have, right? What if you send, you know, cavalry and they've got a shit ton of pikemen, you're dead, right? So when you send the armaments, it has to be specific, and timing is everything. Do you go in early in the game, in the middle of the game, or do you wait to see, come back at the end? Because like I said, when I'm in a co-op of four people versus four people, I'll use, uh, you know, the, the, um, Assad dynasty and, or, you know, the elephants, the Delhi sultans. And what I'll do is I'll build the economy. I'll have so much gold and food and I'll be sending it to my teammates that are going and raiding places, right? In the meantime, I'm building an army of elephants and the elephants are the strongest ones. They're cavalry, but they destroy things and they can act as siege weapons too. So I like to come in the end after I have a strong footing on economy, just in case they take them out, I can build a shit ton of soldiers everywhere. It's all about timing. And so this is why I said, here's how you tactically win. Let's target the real time reporting because everyone keeps telling us that these machines aren't connected to the internet. So the first thing you should all be doing is looking at your state legislation, right? It should be online. Go and find out your election legislation and find out if machines, just simple stuff, don't Google and let somebody else, because I saw some responses of people saying, well, here's an article, fuck the articles, go find the legislation, where it literally says, you know, uh, machines are not allowed to be connected to the internet. Look for that verbiage. If it's not there, Put it in, put it on a little paper that says we, in our state, we have no legislation that explicitly says not connect to the internet. That's number one. Number two, you have to send an email to your county and say, Hey, do you have any contracts with CIDL? Right. I'd like to see it because I pay for it and you're using my money. So can I see it? And it's kind of urgent because you guys can purge data in a couple months in, in, in less than 60 days. So can, can we move it up a bit, please? I'd like that information. So you get that. Then you send an email to your secretary of state and say, hey, are you using any foreign registered companies or any foreign entities or any companies that are a foreign, uh, you know, registration participating in any format of our elections from the ballot machines, the counting, the reporting or anything? And say, and if you are, can you please cite the state law that says it's legal and just let them, and please do so in a timely fashion because uh, there's a lawsuit and this needs to be put in there, please. And you just send that. And if all of you, if there were 25 of you right now in the state of Illinois that sent that email, right? Or a hundred, they'd have to fucking respond. In fact, for those of you that are close to your city, county, county place, pop into your county, be like, hey, no COVID right now. I'm here. I want to see it right now. Well, that'll cost you. I want to see it right now. You're not going to charge me to see where you spent my money. I want to see it with my eyes and I'll take pictures. I don't need copies. If you want to spend the money for copies, if they charge you for it, then so be it. But you are allowed by law to see it with your own eyes. I'd like to see the contract. Well, we need to speak to why you're using my money. There's nothing secret about it, right? It's all full and transparent. Let's go. Get that shit together in your county. And then... 
meet in your state groups. I've already started going in to appoint the admins. I have not had the banner. I have one person. And I have a lot of stuff that are going on in the background that nobody knows about because it's none of their business, right? And sometimes it's not us that say have to say anything. But it's really, 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 really hard. So let me just bring an example. So in the state of Ohio, right, there's literally an explicit law that says machines can't communicate to the internet. But we have counties, specifically geostrategically positioned counties that have CIDL contracts. And in those CIDL contracts, it clearly says that they have network connections. So the question is, how do the other counties send their information to that county that sends their information to this foreign registered company that clearly says that they need to be connected to the internet? First of all, that's illegal. Secondly, that means the counties are talking to each other. So now the question is, who has the contract for the communication between the counties? <laughs> so weird. You see how that comes out? This is where you need to start putting shit down and getting it done. This is how you win. No one is going to save you. Everyone is turning on everyone. Everyone is out for themselves. They're important. They're on TV. They're the ones sitting behind the grand, you know, seat and throne or whatever the hell you want to call it. No one's going to help you. See, I'm fighting and I know that it's, you know, not my fight. It's our fight. And I'm doing what I can through my spot. Oops. Almost slipped. <laughs> right. But all of us have to join together and get this done. Oh, but we can't find a lawyer. Fuck the lawyers. Most of them are, are, are just about the money. Okay. And a lot of them aren't going to sit back because they're worried about what the bar association is going to say and they won't be employable or anything. You can do it yourself. And if you feel that you're inadequate to do it yourself, please reach out to your, um, new group state admins or the ones that are still there and they know how to get a hold of me. They can get a hold of me. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody knows they go to psyops and they cry. And at some point, you know, when they get banned for posting shit like buy my coins, that they will get back to me. Okay. So you have to understand that I know a lot of people when they were filing the, the vax mandates, the mask mandates, all this stuff, right? They couldn't find an attorney in their state to help them. And they're not going to because now Lincoln Project slash Media Matters Project 65 is up. They're all scared. I'm not going to be employed. I got to be careful, right? So it's very important to, to understand that the law isn't a, a, the courthouse isn't a playground for lawyers. It's a playground for the law and the law is in English. And we have more than enough, uh, you know, knowledge and ability to articulate the law. And we have to keep it simple. Don't go into rabbit holes. Keep it simple. Streamline. That's it. That's it. You don't need to be, you know, an esquire to be able to speak English, okay? And I don't want you guys to fear them because this is a war and this is one of the armaments. Right now, you're putting them on defense. They have county freaking prosecutors in the loop, in the loop. And the funny thing is, the Secretary of State acknowledges that it's a company from Barcelona, Spain, yet the Secretary of State of Ohio has contracts with certain counties that have this. And then what's the Secretary of State say? Oh, I didn't know they had a foreign country contract. The fuck you didn't. See, we are more than capable of doing everything we need. We don't need them. 
Because, you know, when you listen to other people and you get their take on it, they give you their spin on it, you know, in a really good way. Let's look at another health insurance explained thing. Let's go. Millions of us now have health insurance under the Affordable Care Act, or what some people call Obamacare. But like many things in life, your health insurance can often be confusing and complicated. Whether you've been insured for years or you're new to the game, understanding your policy is important to your health and your wallet. First things first, you have to pay your premium every month or your insurance could get canceled. Kind of like your cable subscription. You can also think of it like a shared healthcare piggy bank. We all chip in each month, even if we're healthy, so the money is there when we need it. If you get insurance at work, your employer probably pays most of your premium and the rest comes out of your paycheck automatically. If you have Medicaid, you most likely don't have to pay any premium at all. The federal government and your state take care of that. If you're insured through a new health insurance marketplace, depending on your income, you may be eligible for a tax credit that pays a portion of your premium. Once you have that shiny new insurance card, you'll want to try really hard to keep it in your wallet. To better your odds at staying healthy, be sure to take advantage of the free preventive services that all new insurance plans provide. But of course, stuff happens, and that's when insurance really comes in handy. Now, having insurance helps a lot, but it doesn't mean all your health care is going to be free. There are lots of details about your insurance plan that affect how much you pay when you get sick or injured. If you have Medicaid, a lot of these services could very well be free. Otherwise, you'll likely have to pay something when you go to the doctor or fill a prescription. This is called a copay when it's a specific dollar amount, like $25 per visit, or coinsurance if it's a percentage of the bill. There's also the deductible. That's how much comes out of your own pocket before your insurance starts paying. Depending on your plan, you might have a deductible for all your care, or it might only apply to some types of care, like hospital stays and prescriptions. So read your plan material, because it could add up to thousands of dollars. (gasps) Another important part of your plan is the out-of-pocket maximum. This is the most you'll ever have to pay in any one year, at least for the benefits your plan covers. Your insurer will pay 100% of anything beyond the maximum for the rest of the year. It can be just as confusing dealing with prescriptions. Your plan has a list of drugs it will pay for called a formulary, but the prices vary. Check with your doctor or pharmacist because a generic drug might fix you up the same as a brand name drug, but the price difference could be huge. So, those are the costs typically involved. But remember that they'll be affected by your insurance plan's provider network. This is a list of doctors and hospitals that are connected to your plan. Insurance companies negotiate discounts with these providers. Stay in network and the discounts get passed to you. Go out of network, and you could end up paying full price. And remember that out-of-pocket limit? It won't work if you go out of network. In some plans, like HMOs or EPOs, your insurance would pay nothing if you go out of network. In other plans, like PPOs, 
Your insurance will cover you no matter where you go, but you'll pay a lot more if you go out of network. Also, if you want to visit a specialist like an orthopedist, some plans require a referral from your primary care doctor. Sound easy enough? Well, sometimes staying in network can be tricky. In a hospital, it's possible that your surgeon could be in network while your anesthesiologist is not. If this happens to you, don't be afraid to negotiate with your provider or file an appeal with your insurer. So as you can see, there's a lot to think about when you choose an insurance plan each year. Some plans may have low premiums, but fewer doctors or hospitals and high deductibles. There are trade-offs, and understanding and choosing among plans isn't always easy. Remember, if you have questions, call your health plan and ask, or check with your hospital or doctor. If you still have questions, your state insurance department or consumer assistance program can help. With the Affordable Care Act, there's new support for consumers, so take advantage of it. Having health insurance protection is a good thing, especially when you know how it works. We hope you're now better prepared for the next time you have to pull that insurance card out of your wallet. Stay safe, America. And it's so imperative that you have it. See how that sounds? Now that you know what insurance is really about, if you break it down, you're just like, this is lies, lies and scams and MLMs that we don't need. And then people are like, Trump didn't do nothing. <laughs> how the hell is he going to unravel this ball of yarn? The only way to do it is torch that bitch and start from the foundation again. See, that's the problem that we have. They tell you, they tell you these things as if, oh, you know, this is what you need. This is going to be amazing. You got to get this somehow. <laughs> That's the way it is, right? That's the way it is. So let's just take a quick break. And, you know, a lot of people seem to think that, uh, you know, only the Bible has stories uh, and um, that tell us about things. But every single religion manufactured by man is all rooted in the same if you actually pay attention. So let's talk about demons, but through the Muslim eyes today. Let's take a look at that. So let's take our short seven-minute break where you can actually see what they say. The jinn war, creation before mankind. What? Now, Iblis is a creation of God. Iblis is a creation of God. Iblis is a jinn. Iblis is, you know, he's made of fire, which the Quran talks again in several places that he's made of fire. But where did Iblis come from? And were there the likes of Iblis before? So the Mufassim have come to him again. This is based on those narrations that I talked about earlier. And what Allah Azawajal did is that he created a whole creation of jinns that were on the earth. And this is, you will find in many of the early Mufassirun have commented on this. He created them on the earth and they had got taklif. Now what is taklif? Taklif is that God's now given them a responsibility to recognize him. Now when Allah gives responsibility to creation, he will, he will send messengers. So what Allah did is that he sent jinn messengers. So before there was human messengers, before Adam salam, who was the first human messenger, there were many jinn messengers that Allah sent to them. Now the jinns are made of fire. And the jinns, one of the things they have inside, you know, being fiery is that you're, you, you're angry and you're, you're hasty, you're fast, you're very powerful. Now the sifat and the qualities that the jinns have between them is that 
they are in fights and they are in cobbles and they are in superiority and who can prove who's greater this is one of the natures of nature of the jinns and they're always in the spirit of challenge um now there are good jinns allah azawajal has said that in surah jinn itself he's talked about two different groups of jinns and he said the salihun and there's those those who are pious and those who are not pious now the ones that were not on the earth were both types and messengers came down but the messengers in the many numbers were killed by the jinns on the earth and there was great corruption that was that prevailed on the earth there was great corruption that prevailed on the earth now there was one notable jinn that was very pious iblis being who he was he was a good jinn and he started to worship god worship god to the extent because jinns could fly see and jinns could go to through through many of the heaven they could go up up and down they didn't have to stay on the earth they didn't have to stay on the earth they could travel up it was only when rasulullah sallallahu alaihi came that they were that they were trapped within this first universe this is clear from the quran this in surah safat you will find this in surah jinn you will find this that allah did not allow them to go beyond the first heaven or the first heaven meaning the end of this universe they can't go past that after the after Rasulullah became a prophet. But before that, they could go above that. So what happened is that on these travels, Iblis proved himself that he was so close to God. And Allah then allowed him to get closer and closer to higher and higher, basically. And they say in some of these narrations that there was not no space in the heavens was left, like no large space was left in the heaven, but Iblis had gone there and he had worshipped God. So he was a very, very, very close, you know, you could say jinn, servant jinn, whatever you want to put it, to God. Until then, Allah Azawajal allowed him, allowed him to come in the company of the malaika, of the angels. And he got the chance to be in the company of the malaika. Allah decided that he's going to send the angels down to the earth and to banish the 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 uh, or those um, jinns that had causes a lot of corruption on the earth. So this group was going to come down, and they're going to kill many of these jinns that were just out of control. Iblis volunteered that if he can come with the angels to kill these these corrupted jinns on the earth, and Allah gave him permission, so he came. And they killed a lot of these jinns. They left only a few on the earth. And from these few, again, the progeny of the jinns would start. Now, Iblis returns back. Now, many, many, maybe hundreds of years, I don't know, whatever is going by, by because jinns have very long lives. They don't have short lives that the human beings that, you know, we only have a, you know, 60, 70, 100 years. They have hundreds of years. Perhaps they have, they could have, a, you know, a few thousands of years of, of living. Now, you've got Iblis that has gone down there, that has banished these jinns most of them who are corrupted on the on the earth and is returned back with the angels now he was with the angels but allah makes it very clear that he was not from the malaika he was from the jinn now why allah makes that clear is because we understand that no malak or no angel can ever disobey allah allah made it in their nature not to disobey allah but a jinn can so the the biblical sources they've now faltered again they say they call it a fallen angel so what they say is that if an angel decides to go against the will of god or the command of god 
then that angel Allah drops him from the rank of the angels and now he becomes a fallen angel that's the biblical sort of side or some what some of them believe the Muslims don't believe that no angel can ever disobey Allah so that's where we find that Iblis was able to disobey Allah because he wasn't from the the Malaika now there's one one thing here why is it that Iblis is now going to disobey God now you've got to understand the whole thing behind the creation of Adam Suddenly, Allah reveals to the angels and He says, I am about to make on the earth a Khalifa or someone who will take command, second in charge, or someone who will rule again, reign after the last reigning. I'm about to make a Khalifa on the earth. Now, when Allah said that, Iblis got really happy, right? He must have got really happy. And you know why? Because Iblis knows that. The angels are not the ones who are going to rule the earth. If there's anyone, there's going to be the creation from the jinns. Allah is going to now make a khalifa perhaps from the jinns. But Allah's decision wasn't that he's going to make a khalifa or a vicegerent from the jinns. His decision now was that he's going to create this new creation. Now this shocked Iblis. Because all these years that Iblis had worshipped Allah and had been so good was because he wanted power. He wanted prestige. He wanted to be in charge on the earth. He wanted to be, you know, come back on the earth and he's going to be sent perhaps as a messenger or he's going to be sent with a new command of God on the earth or he's going to be in charge of the jinns on the earth. There's something beautiful that's going to come for Iblis, something that he had a big glimmer and a big hope in and all that was getting crushed now with this new creation. Now, who is this new creation? Who is that new creation? So if we pay attention to what other religions say, they kind of say the same thing. But again, I turn back to what I've always said. If you, if the Egyptians were next to a lake, they wouldn't have a river god. They would have a lake god. It's all about perception. But it keys there. Satan was wanting power from his father. And Satan was like, oh my gosh, he's going to create a new civilization. That's so cool because it has to come from us because, you know, we can defy God. We're his children. We're going to defy him, right? And I want rain. Give me. And then God created man. And it's like, what? What? You mean I don't get to create and rule and, and power? He had an ego. See, the problem is always the same. It's about feeling important and feeling power and yearning and harnessing that power in the source, right? At the bottom line, when you take down all the other constructs that happen, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about the Quran. It was created after the church had altered whatever was allowed to be seen by the people from scriptures of the Bible. The same thing has happened to the Jewish scriptures and everywhere. It's always being altered by those that want power. But if you actually listen carefully, you see, this is why I read everything. People don't read anymore. And you sit back and you don't drink Kool-Aid, but you're like, I'm objective. Let me, let me think what that really means. What is it really telling me? What seems off here? What seems similar across all scriptures? See, a religion is one that, you know, harnesses a power of obedience. Uh, 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 uh. Your parents, right? So most of your parents, moms, dads, grandparents, you want your kid to 
follow the rules, not because you're in charge, right? Even though they say, why can't I do this? And you're like, because I said so. It's not because you're in charge. It's because you don't want them to make mistakes as a parent. So as your creator makes you, right? He doesn't ask you to be obedient blindly. He says, I don't want you to make mistake. I want you to thrive. I want you to grow. I want you to create. And I want you guys to just totally love each other. And it'll be so beautiful. But for some reason, that's been skewed. But let's put it this way. As a parent, right? You have your kids and they're like, we're going to have a few friends over and we're going to, you know, just play video games and, you know, eat brownies we're going to make and hot cocoa and sleepover, whatever, right? Just, just, Just picture this. So you're the parent. They're telling you that. And then you're like, okay, you've told them the rules. Don't kill each other. Don't burn the house. Don't break the house. Respect the vases, the couches, right? Don't defecate where you eat. You know, simple stuff that you would ask your kids. Don't trash the place and don't kill each other. Okay. Simple guidelines, right? And don't get into any trouble that can cause you harm, right? This is, this is what you tell your kids. Either they be male, female, you tell them that, right? Well, let's, let's just imagine. The earth is the house. And you're just like, all right, listen, children, this is it, right? You guys are going to do whatever you want. You're going to explore. You're going to experiment. You're going to don't kill each other. Don't hate each other. To be a family. Love, right? Love. And then they go and torture your house down. They, they poop on your couch because they think it's fun. You know, they start, you know, killing each other. Maybe they decide that yeah we don't we 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 ate all the lamb in the fridge so now we're just gonna eat betsy because why not we're more powerful look at us we're stronger than betsy she's the runt you know they're doing things that you wouldn't expect fornicating like animals abusing i don't know the pets in the house i'm just pay attention think about it and that's when the parent comes home you know like you see in the movies and the house is trashed after a house party and they're like the what the you know And they will shut that shit down. See, children, infants, unable to cultivate thought, teenagers, too much freedom, too much hormones, too much this, too much excitement, too much curiosity. I'm trying to have you take it into another perspective. And then when you go back to your scriptures, whatever denomination of religion you subscribe to and answers to you, think about it. There is one God and he is all merciful, just like you would be to your kids. Your kids fuck your house up at a house party and they do all these things and they commit murder. And I'm just saying, think about it. You leave for a trip. Your kids are like, I'm just going to have my friends over and we're going to hang out. And you're like, great. Just respect the house. Don't kill each other. And you come back and it's a hot mess. It's a crime scene. What do you do? Uh, You're going to be like, well, now you have to face the consequences. You guys killed Betsy because she was the shortest one. You guys roasted her here. I'm talking really evil shit. You did all this stuff. You, you know, fornicated with the puppy. Like, what are you doing? You did this. I'm talking really evil stuff, right? Because the stuff that happens in this world is really, really evil. Okay? So I want you to take it down to a more 
simplified level that you can understand. And you would beat their asses. Would you physically beat them? No, you'd be like, yo, I'm turning your ass to the police. Who did it? Explain it because you're going to get in trouble for what you did. And that's about it. But I need you to understand that this was wrong and you will be punished. That's it. And those of you that hid in the closet and ran away, those of you that died trying to help, well, you're going to relive. I'm going to resurrect you, right? You're good seeds. You that hid, I don't know, man. You need some consequences too because you should have stood up. Those are, but I was overpowered. Doesn't I understand? But see, you know, Joe over here that stood up to stop all this stuff, like when they were doing things with the dog or setting the couch on fire, he was killed, but he gets to live again. You were chicken shit. And we're thinking, I need to survive. I need to hide. Maybe I could be the cook for all these crazy people. And you helped. Or you didn't do anything and you stood idly while all of this happened. You deserve punishment too. You see, if you bring it down to a level that you can understand, everything makes sense. You just have to take that 40,000 foot view and put it into a perspective that you, you can see it. Because when we speak of religion, right? We speak of rules and covenants and the rules are the same in, in, in most everything we do in life. The Ten Commandments, right? Simple stuff, right? Don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. That causes drama on the street. The housing association is going to go crazy. You know, people are going to be like the kids, the milkmans, you know, don't do it. Like it's just common sense. Just pointing it out. This is how simple it is. And people like to make things more complicated when Occam's razor is the key. I've said this so many years. The parsimonious answer is usually the right one. And this is it. We can all see God through different eyes. But at the base of it, it speaks the same. It's just been altered to create division and I'm better and you're better and this. Okay, you like to do that and you believe that is a way because the person that taught it to you told you that you have to do this because they wanted you to feel structured because for some reason, humankind has been trained that they must have structure and the structure doesn't come from an authority. It comes from your authority, your structure. Remember, you command the cells that keep you together, every single atom down to your fingertips. You command to stay there. If you command it to leave, it will leave. If you command it to change shape, it will do so. I know a lot of people are like, no, it doesn't. It's like, dude, it's atoms. You could do it in in a laboratory with other shit, but I can't do it with my body. So you're telling me you can take this atom and that atom and shift them, but I can't do it when I'm made of the same shit. I'm, I'm trying to kind of break it down so people understand exactly what we mean by spiritual warfare. This is a battle that is spiritual. It is a battle of the people. And boy, this boomerang next week is going to be tight. Because see, when you, when you alter things, when you create energy, like a big, right? It can go either way. See, 
you aren't God. You aren't the architect. You are the architect of your own reality, not the initiation of it. Therefore, when you try to mess with everybody's reality and their ability to be their own architects, well, then that can boomerang, especially when they have knowledge. And that is the problem. This is what happened when Jesus appeared. It was a time that people could see. People were in turmoil. See, when you resonate at a low frequency, you are simply attracted to a higher one, no matter what. And if you are at a high frequency and suddenly a low one busts in, right? You know, positive, negative attraction. What have we always said in math? Positive and positive makes positive. Negative and negative makes positive. And positive and negative gives you negative. So those that are resonating at very high frequency, when targeted with a negative frequency, will result in negative responses. And this is exactly what you're seeing now. So when you throw out a negative response and it's already negative out there, negative and negative make positive. Right? And see, Jesus was simply the negative in their negative that gave the positive. The negative that society had, plus the negative of the way society perceived Jesus, gave a positive outcome. It's all about interaction and math. And you can see it because they're very, very upset. Yeah, you know, disinformation is very, very useful. And the disinformation, remember, let's let's talk disinformation. Disinformation. Such a useful tool, isn't it? You 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 earwig something into someone's ear. You plant information. You put water through a pipe to see where it leaks. You ensure that you can clock it back. So like, for example, when Cassidy put her statement out, the plan was you need to make him look deranged. So in order to make him deranged, you have to talk about how off the hook he was. Well, then someone plants, you know, a uh, a thought of, oh, yeah, he grabbed the steering wheel because people are in the beast and they're like, oh, my God, he probably like leaned over and did it. But even the left was like, that's so dumb. Even even the left was like, you can't do that because all you need to do is pull up how the beast looks like and it looks weird. And then it's like he wasn't in the beast because he left with an SUV. So that's even weirder. So see how disinformation actually works because then it destroys narrative. So then they do what? Hijack. So they want to infiltrate rather than invade. And invading your thoughts is done through infiltration better. But when you're open to anything, I can invade your thoughts with whatever garbage I want. So let's rem- let's see how CNN is telling you what they're doing. Take a listen to this. Possible witness tampering. The more we are learning about it, the, about it, the worse it sounds. I mean, how much trouble could this now mean for the people around Donald Trump and Donald Trump himself if they were trying to influence Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony? Okay, I've done obstruction of justice and witness tampering cases. I've certainly done my share of them. And often the communications that you're looking at are vague or ambiguous and you sort of have to read between the lines. That is not the case here. The the strongest line in what we've seen is 
You have to protect who you need to protect. That is about as straightforward as it gets when it comes to witness tampering. Now, the committee, it sounds like, according to Manu's reporting, they've been asking everybody, has this been communicated to you? They need to get their arms around how many people have heard this kind of threat, and they need to enlist the United States Department of Justice, as Liz Cheney suggested, because the committee, frankly, is defenseless here. They can't bring obstruction charges. Only DOJ can. DOJ needs to do that. They need to get on that to protect the committee's investigation, to protect DOJ's own investigation, which apparently is ongoing, and to send a message to people around Donald Trump. This is not tolerated. There will be real consequences. Only DOJ can impose those consequences. Yeah. Alyssa, you're close with Cassidy Hutchinson. I mean, you said today that you helped her when she had reached out about wanting to say more to the committee and also in doing so needing a new attorney um, to, to do to kind of move forward as we've now seen as it play out. So based on what you know, are you surprised to hear that she was one of the people on the receiving end of these messages? I wasn't surprised. And in fact, I, I kind of expected um, when Congresswoman Cheney read through those that at least one of them had gone to Cassidy. Um, when we spoke and I, you know, I don't want to betray her confidence, but the, the sense that I got was somebody who felt didn't feel empowered to share what they knew in their knowledge. And there was a level of intimidation there. And one thing I want to note, you know, Ellie's the lawyer, and I think he laid out beautifully what the actual issue as far as witness tampering is. But Cassidy Hutchinson is now facing a smear campaign. And what is really, the Trump world is trying to make an example of her right now in the public eye to try to scare other witnesses out of coming forward. Some of what's been pushed about her, and luckily credible sources aren't pu uh, publishing a lot of it, but she is coming under an onslaught lot from Trump world. And that's just another way, this sort of thuggish way in which they try to keep people from telling the truth. I think that's a really important point. It wasn't, it may be not, it's not just efforts leading up to, it's during and after as you're laying out now. It's ongoing still, um, no, no matter who it is, where it's coming from, it's coming with the motivation of exactly what you're saying, a smear campaign. You know, Gloria, Members of the committee have suggested, as Monty was laying out, that there is more evidence of possible witness intimidation. Mm -hmm. I, just what's your gut tell you on where this goes? Because the committee goes. is so much it's focusing on as well, not just, obviously, questions and concerns of witness intimidation. Well, I think it goes to the Justice Department. Uh, and I think that what they have to do with the committee is figure out uh, who is who is doing the witness tampering here. Where did these calls and uh, come from, or emails come from, um, and to whom? And was it the same person? And did they, did they do it at the behest of someone like? Donald Trump, for example, or did they do it on their own? And did they do it multiple times? I mean, I think that, you know, this is something that clearly needs to be investigated. And if they've asked these questions to every witness, then they can collate all this information. And I think uh, Liz Cheney is right. I mean, this is not this is not for the Congress uh, to decide, but I think they can hand this over either as a referral or just hand over the information to the Justice Department and let the Justice Department investigate. Yeah. Alyssa, I do want to ask you, because you're, you're talking about the smear campaign, and Donald Trump himself is not just in statements, but he is now out there responding to Cassidy's testimony. And unsurprisingly at all, he's attacking her personally, trying to attack her credibility. Um, I want to play just some of what he said. And I say this with the caveat of, I want to play this not to have it out there, but because this is what the, th those who may speak to the committee, this is what they are seeing. This is what they have to consider because this is what Trump is putting out there in terms of attacking these people. Listen. 
This lady yesterday, there's something wrong with her. The woman is living in fantasy land. Some whack job. She's got serious problems. Let me put it that way. What did you make of Fox Mental News? problems. What do you say to that, Alyssa? Well, it's it's classic Trump playbook. He, after I've spoken out against him, he's put out two statements against me using very similar language, calling me a clown, a loser, a nobody says he doesn't know. You're absolutely right. Almost, almost absolutely the same language. I, I now remember that. That's it's, it's striking. I exactly. didn't think of that until now. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's actually quite lazy. And it's, I mean, listen, I've been in Air Force One's the presidential cabin with Cassidy Hutchinson and Donald Trump. So it's like, this is just, it's an absurdity, but um, it does. I, I do think how aggressive he's been in responding to this hearing in particular shows what a nerve her testimony struck. Uh, she, he put out a number of posts on his truth social, I think half a dozen, the most he has after any hearing after Cassidy's testimony. And then his, his aides made the decision to put him on Newsmax to talk about this. Um, I've also seen sort of a full force pushback from some of the MAGA world loyalists, putting them on the airwaves of other networks, um, pushing back on social media. I think that he really feels the pain of this. I think he's realizing this is impacting people. You know, Gloria, can I also ask you, I want to play something just to bring this all together, if you will. Mm -hmm. I want to play something um, that Liz Cheney said during her speech at the Reagan Library. Listen to this. At this moment, we are confronting a domestic threat that we have never faced before. And that is a former president who is attempting to unravel the foundations of our constitutional republic. As we think about the choice in front of us, we have to choose because Republicans cannot both be loyal to Donald Trump and loyal to the Constitution. At this moment. Do you see what I mean? The GOP is not loyal to the people. You see, they need to excise President Trump because of the power he has over the party. And the fact that he's been on every single place and everyone talking about it, right, is because he's pointing out the falsities. I mean, Adam Schiff is there. Funny how Adam Schiff isn't talking. You know, the guy that manufactured evidence and presented it in an impeachment hearing, which should have been filed as a criminal complaint and is a crime and even under the the administration that President Trump had, none of those pussies stood up again. If you went to the house and the kid that hid in the closet or let it happen, you think you're going to be like, oh, that's OK. You're fine. No, you'd be like, you're getting the same punishment as the people that ate Betsy, that set the couch on fire and that allowed Adam Schiff to fucking manufacture evidence. See, there are no passes. You stand by and watch this shit happen. Or you stand by and quell factual and actual information because, I don't know, you don't like the messenger. I don't like Trump, so I'm not going to do this. So you don't like the messenger, so you're going to let the whole house burn because you don't have power. See, power, ego, I'm so good, I'm the best, I'm this. That's exactly what Satan says. This is why he was pissed. See, the more you look at things, the more you see that the same plague on his own children is transferred to you. And this is why the devil's in your ear always saying, you're better than that. 
you're so much better than that. Like that person's such a loser. Look at them. You're way better. And then, you know, there's people, uh, you know, that take that literally. This is how you can see the devil in that. They demand, you know, that structure. They, the, the posers, you know, the posers. Like, uh, so uh, when I have things like, um, I have like a closet full of dresses from like, from whenever I've actually purged the majority of them because they're attached to memory. So I get rid of them. But when I buy shoes, right, I invest in them. I, I, you know, obviously if I get stuff from like Target or whatever, I know I'm going to throw it out in six months. I actually use the stuff I have. But like uh, a couple weeks ago, I went and turned in a handbag I had. I had bought it. I where where did I buy it from? Oh, I think it was from overseas. Guys, the amount of handbags I have is sick over the years. Um, it was one of those Louis Vuitton speedy bags that was white with the multicolor thing. It was really old. So anyway, I used the crap out of that bag. The crap out of it. And this is why I like to invest in better things. So this is just like, you know, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, ladies. Save to get yourself the bag. Save to get yourself the shoes. Because, you know, when things go bad, they replace that shit. See, two years ago, it was, was it two years? No, on Hera's 21st, I sent her a little, little wallet. It cost me like $600. It was a Louis Vuitton wallet, right? 600 bucks. I had saved for that. I wanted to give her something pretty and that she can have. Well, when she moved to Ohio, she was like, well, mom, look, the buttons ripped and that. And, you know, she puts a shit ton of cards, IDs, you know, she has a lot of stuff that she carries with her. Um, and it ripped. And I was like, don't worry, honey. So this is where we both went together. I took my bag. She took her wallet. Guess what? They replaced that shit. They replace that shit. They replace it. No, no questions asked. They take it. They see it. They're like, I'll send it off. And then a couple weeks later, they'll come back and they'll say, you know what? We don't make that anymore. Or you can buy a new one or here's a new one, brand new replacement. So it's not a waste of money if you think about it, because if you buy one, well, except, you know, sometimes you get good deals like my Kate Spade sunglasses. Damn. They're awesome, right? They're freaking awesome. The only thing that cost me money was the lens in it, but I'm saying. So when you find something good and if it is a brand, they have to stick by it. This is the, this is the thing. But on top of that, you know, the posers like to get the bags that have all the logos, right? Um, they don't take it for design or that it's cute, right? They want the bag with all the logos, they want the, the the silk suit. They want the look at me where they leave the Hugo Boss tag. Have you ever seen those dudes where they leave the Hugo Boss tag on the other side? That's because they feel inadequate. They feel like they need to own the power that they don't have. This is a, a substantial deficit that mankind has because the devil earwigs. So again, not trying to knock brands because I love them. I'll invest in pieces. Like I said, I have this dress that I paid almost a thousand dollars for that I paid off on my Neiman Marcus card. Dude, that dress, I could look crazy as hell. Still look like a million dollars. <laughs> Still look like a million dollars, right? Still look like a million dollars because, you know, the dress is great. <laughs> it's a good dress. Um, I could wear it with house slippers and my hair looking all messed up and I'll still whatever. But again, uh, it's, it's about the luxury brands. This is what I was going to luxury brands are supposedly a show of status 
um, when they should be a show of investment and quality. Um, and you can see the differences. There's people that will get things like, you know, if someone actually looked at my wallet that I bought years ago that was from Louis Vuitton, it's black. It doesn't even have it. There's like, I don't even want to buy logo shit because it pisses me off. You mean I'm going to pay you top dollar? Obviously, the top dollar is that you'll replace it if it breaks, right? Guys, you don't know how many times I've replaced that wallet because the zipper and whatever, right? But I'm going to pay you all that money and then you want me to wear your logo so I can show it off? Get the fuck out of here. No way. No way. Like when you hear that, I obviously the speedy bag. I really liked it though. I like the colors and I like the inside red suede when I got it. Freaking when was it? Like 20. Oh, 20. Where did I, it was before Barcelona. So I'm going to say it was like, shoot, showing my age. <laughs> I don't even remember, but I know it was before Barcelona. And that's because that's a memory that I have. So it was, it was definitely before, um, 2000 and, and, and Barcelona. I'm gonna leave that. So, um, so yeah. So status, power, and hungry. Now, what has President Trump done? Status, power, and hungry? No. He's taking their status and their power. They're not in charge of their party anymore. They're posing as power of the party with your money that you have given them. They have no status because people pee on them. They, they, they call them clowns. They call them idiots. But yet they're sitting there with your money as their booster seat, talking down on the choices that you have made. Again, a lot of people may not agree with a lot of things that President Trump says, either because he's mean or it's like, why the fuck are you constantly pushing these vaccines? Obviously, we don't want a 25th Amendment. You see what I'm saying? They're pushing him to say shit that will aggravate his base and rather than his base understand it, uh, they lose it. And that's where the devil gets in too. They don't see of the foundation. Everything is so fucking material. I'll tell you what. Ask me. Let's. Uh, I. You know. I was talking with someone who's who you would never expect me to talk to. Um, that has a massive podcast, and we were having a conversation. And when we met, happenstancely, the person was shocked to see me. And the people in the meeting room were like, "Why are you shocked to see her? Like she's like one of the best." He's like, "Yeah, but." Nobody talks to her. And they're like, yeah, nobody of importance talks to her, right? Is that what you think? Nobody of importance to who? She's here. She's with us. You're here interviewing me, but she's there as my friend. There's a big difference. So when we were talking, I saw the setup and all this stuff. So I was talking to the person like, oh my gosh, like you, you're really hooked up. Like I'm jealous. And the person says, well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've listened to you before and your strategy is pretty cool. You know how you do your shows. You, you're just you. And I was like, yeah, cause no brands own me. Unlike you. <laughs> and we all had that awkward laugh. He's like, no, fair shake, fair shake. But you know, and so as we were there, um, I was looking at the setup and the person asked me about my setup and I showed the person a picture of where I do my podcast from. He was like, what the, what? Why don't you have like a 
I can't afford that. See, I don't have sponsors like you, but I do have an awesome mixer thing because someone sent that to me. And so now my audio is a little bit better, but I'm still trying to figure out how to make it even better. But I, you know, it's just me. Wait, what do you mean? Just you. And then someone, you know, that you wouldn't expect said, no, you have no idea. This person is like a living duplicate. It's about the title and the tiara. And that person now sees me way differently than they did when they saw me there thinking, you know, even their people stood up like what the, and then I didn't walk in with shoes. I was wearing slippers because, you know, you don't walk into someone's house with shoes, right? For me, I don't do it because, you know, it's crap. And either way, I was bringing cooties from all over the country. So, (laughs) but that's the thing. People have a perception that certain uh, things must be. So like, you know, uh, when you when you meet a doctor, you just assume that the doctor is going to be in a silk suit or wearing Hugo Boss labels everywhere, right? Those are the thirsty ones. The real ones that are simply doing their job are less you know, flashy. They're, they're humble. They're simple. You know, they don't try to pose. And I think for that person, and, and, and you know, that person has interviewed people like Jordan Peterson. Okay. And, you know, as the conversation happened, cause they had to leave because we had a meeting, you know, I was like, you know, you guys talked about this whole, yeah, you know, but it's like, I, I mean, he's a psychiatrist, psychologist, psychoanalyst. He knows this stuff because he interacts with people. I interact with people too. Like, you know, Elon Musk is a really chill dude. And I was like, of course he would be because he's like really smart. And this is why people that are obsessed and, and, and passionate about what they're doing. They're, they're, they're humble in, in the sense that they don't require frills and whatever. And I said, but you've had him on tap. How could you not? And it was, the most, I, I think I, I saw him shooken, really shooken, really shooken in the sense of he was confused and it's okay to be confused. It, it is okay to be confused because once you realize that posing and actual is completely different, it makes sense. And, and, and I know this person poses, but they're also actual too. You know what I mean? And, and, and they're trying to find a good balance but are too scared to risk because they're so much in one lane. It's like a, it's like a horse that was jumping and what is it called? A dressage horse, right? It's like a dressage horse. That's really, really fast. And you know that they can run races, but that horse is just so comfortable with dressage that it won't go into running races. Right. And, and no, I'm not talking about the Sobek. Like <laughs> seriously, come on, get off it. He's not that important. So again, uh, you know, this is a problem that people like comfort and to stick to their lane. And while they try to manage to find a good balance, they'll still wear, you know, the flashy stuff and feel like they're important when they're really realizing that they're not that important. Does that make sense? Because suddenly that person's importance or how they felt, this is why they were shook, went to the floor. Like what the fuck just happened here? Right. I wanted to say something, but I'm going to hold my tongue because it's not right. This is the same thing that's happening with the GOP. And Liz Cheney has sacrificed herself to go up there and take it and put out the message. 
This is pure panic mode of your parties because they've lost control over you. They're still posing, but they're empty inside because they realize that the average person, which I know you don't think Trump is average, but yes, he fucking is. He's not in the club. Because when you're not in the club, right? When you're not in the club, nobody wants to play with you. And when you're not in the club, you don't play by their rules. All right. You really don't. You give zero fucks about their rules. You're like, those are your rules in your club. My club is the whole world. So those rules don't apply here. You just keep it into your checkerboard floored places. This is where these people are. What you are seeing, recompense, right, is receiving and harvesting what you have sowed. Now we see the Republican Party has sowed a shit ton of ego, a shit ton of posing, a shit ton of pretending, a shit ton of I'm the Constitution. And their ego was the one driving it. And what do we say? This is an involuntary ego death. And this is happening globally to organizations, to companies, to leaders, to royal blood, to average people, and to not so average people. Ego death, involuntary ego death. This is what we are witnessing. The collective ego being crumbled down to nothing. And you know, this resonates across the planet. You're seeing it in every single corner of this world that they are losing it. Remember, when President Trump ran, what did he say? I'm running under the Republican Party because the Republican voters are stupid. Why? Because at least the Democrats know that they're voting for crazy and stupid ass fucking shit. The Republicans actually thought that they were voting for freedom in the Constitution. Really? When Obamacare happened, we controlled Senate and House. How the fuck did that happen? Oh, let me guess. Constitution, right? That they're fighting for us, right? You see where it goes? So he could have ran independent, but he would have lost because people were too conditioned to think red or blue, red or blue. And it's like, fuck your colors. I'm going where I like it. See, because right now, if he pivoted and said, fuck the GOP, my party, guess how many people would run to him? Tons. This is how a new party arises. A little bit delayed, but not yet. We'll see how it comes in. It's coming in. It's coming in where there's no party. You know what? I'm not part of a party. You guys donate to me. Let me tell you something. If it was GOP, DNC, and then President Trump, who would raise the most money? Let's guess. Come on, guess. What if President Trump said, I'm not part of any party anymore? It's just me. Not libertarian, not green, not MAGA party, not patriot party, not anything. I'm just a pure federalist, independent by myself. I want you to tell me, not from corporations, but actual raising funds, who would raise the most money if you actually put them on the board and had a blackboard and you had GOP money, Trump money, DNC money, who would have the most money? Trump. They would suffocate. They would lose it. But I don't know when that trigger is going to be pulled. But maybe what she says gives you a hint. Let's see. 
republic. As we think about the choice in front of us, we have to choose because Republicans cannot both be loyal to Donald Trump and loyal to the Constitution. At this moment, Quite an interesting speech to give to a Republican audience in 2022, right, right, Gloria? And to be met uh, with a round of applause. I mean, let's just set the scene here because it's truly remarkable. Here she is, Liz Cheney, daughter of a former vice president, speaking at the Reagan Library, saying that the former president, who, by the way, is right now probably the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2024, calling him a domestic threat and saying that he is a threat to democracy and she gets applauded by Republicans. The choice is the Constitution or following Trump. Trump. (laughs) So let me tell you this. You know, if I had the ability, because so many people have made me because of that bullshit with the North Dakota Attorney General. Do you guys remember when they raised a GoFundMe to bail Greece out of their debt to the IMF so they could be independent? Do you guys remember that? They actually had a GoFundMe for a country so they could pay their debt. Well, you know, I'm mulling it around. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to get this, um, uh, you know, organization regarding everything. But I'm thinking all of us can get together and run a fund for just Trump, not the GOP, just to him, that he is the only one that can cash this out, only him. And we did it, but we can't. I'll tell you why. Because most of the right-wing media is bought. So how's this? Hey, losers with the microphones that think you're important, why don't you do that? Since Liz Cheney said we have to decide, why not decide on just funding Trump? Let's just fund the shit out of Trump, not through his website, not through his PACs, but we create a a fund that's the people want Trump fund. That would totally piss people off because that shit would be billions. You'd have people from other countries donating as a crowdsource. The people want to rebuild America, help us send a dollar so that we can elect the president we want since they've hijacked all our elections and they're making us use voter machines. Uh, we say what goes. And I mean, since money talks, you know, let's, <laughs> let's raise the money to get America out of debt and we give it all to Trump and it'll be people from around the world that will be donating. Because if you remember that Greece fund, right, had raised like 3 billion, was it? Was it billion? I'm trying to remember in like a week. So, you know, obviously GoFundMe might put holds on it or whatever, but, you know, if I had this organization set up, we'd have a shit ton of money. And we would be like, hey, this account, uh, part of this organization is just for President Trump. And he is the only one that can get that check. Nobody else. Nobody else. Not one person. Done. It would be game over. Because we would be able to raise 20 trillion in a heartbeat. I tell you that with full conviction. So any of you out there that think you're more important and you have bigger pockets and you have a bigger platform because you think you do, right? <laughs> Just like the guy said, I thought I had. Because you think you do, right? Why not? He should pull the trigger. He should make them all go broke. Because you know the Democrats aren't getting shit money. <laughs> They're asking people who are poor for money. The only people that are funding the Democrats are the corporations. And this is why we must force 
our states to change the legislation. That we do not allow corporations to fund anything. We need to get rid of the fucking PACs. We need to get rid of everything. Everything. Like right now for my campaign, we have a Friends of Mayors for Ohio. My campaign manager runs it. I don't even see, I don't even know how much money he's raised. If he's raised anything, I haven't seen anything. But he's the only one that commands it. It's one person. And he's the one that files it. One person. And the only thing it benefits is me. Right? My campaign. That's it. The candies, the pens, the, the, the cops, that's it. So think of it this way. Another person running for secretary of state, like LaRose, has raised over a million dollars from corporations. He's not really campaigning. He doesn't have to, right? He's the GOP nominee. So that money then goes to the GOP, and then the GOP gives it to states that they're fighting to keep their GOP selecting in whoever they've selected and if they don't need the money no state goes to the federal one and this is where you know everybody else makes money this is why i always chuckle and it's and 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 i had a friend of mine the other day say why do you keep laughing when he praises the slaps and i'm like because he knows that they know that he has their balls and advice one word from him and the gop is dead in the water and everybody loses money. When is he going to pull the trigger on that? Well, you know, here's how they decided to pull the trigger on the people, right? Look at what Anderson Cooper put together. QAnon targets the return of Cassidy Hutchinson to return. And I wonder, all those people that made money from it, but then they were like, oh my God, I was hijacked. No shit, told you. Um, you know, are suddenly now not really with it and it kind of is dead in the water, but then people are feeling hopeful. And it's like, how many posts were done? Only one was from the computer. Oh, the quantum computer that doesn't exist because quantum computing doesn't exist, but we all have fail safes. And now suddenly they're all coming out with, we have quantum computing and Illinois is going to be deploying it very soon. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought we didn't have it. Now we have it. What internet is it running on? Oh, an internet within an internet, within an internet. Well, what's the base of the internet within the internet? Well, that's another story. But check out what he says. Listen to his words. The person lining up against Cassidy Hutchinson is the anonymous online poster Q, whose completely absurd posts, which would be laugh laughably cryptic and are actually never accurate, are at the heart of the QAnon conspiracy movement. After more than 18 months of silence, the Q account is back, and on Wednesday, it aimed its conspiracies toward Hutchinson. It's really too stupid to even show the posts of this uh, Q person, but the post contained numerous cryptic questions and ended with asking, who is Cassidy Hutchinson and trust the plan, which is a common Q catchphrase. The Q stuff would be funny if it didn't actually have real world consequences. The FBI says it's arrested more than 20 people involved in the Capitol riots who said they followed QAnon. One of those, probably most famously, Jacob Chansley, who uh, was seen in face paint and a headdress in the Senate chamber January 6th. He's since been sentenced to 41 months in prison. There was also the follower who flashed the Q sign in his trial for allegedly killing a member of the Gambino crime family and another who was sentenced to eight years following an armed standoff near the Hoover Dam. That guy, he was demanding the release of a Justice Department report on Hillary Clinton's emails, which is a popular QAnon conspiracy. I'm joined by CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan, who's tracked QAnon and spoken to many of his followers over the years, and CNN senior law enforcement analyst Andrew McCabe, former FBI deputy director, what does it mean that now that the Q account is back up and running? Yeah, I mean, understand. I think like among the 
kind of polite company here in Washington, in Washington, D.C. and here in New York City, the conventional wisdom, I'd say we should ignore it. It's stupid. I'm, it is dumb. It, it is objectively dumb. Uh, but what happened last time when, when folks weren't talking about that? Half the country then was wondering why did a ton of people wearing Q paraphernalia show up and storm the Capitol? Right. Uh, the reality... There were a lot of people wearing Q There stuff was a lot of people. At, there was yeah. the shop. And Mike Flynn is, was selling Q paraphernalia. It's, there, it's, part of, it's part of a huge grift. Uh, look, there is obviously the crazy QAnon beliefs where it comes to cabals and everything else. Drinking uh, blood of children. Blah, yes, blah, blah. Uh, but it's part of just kind of a tapestry, a, a range uh, of conspiratorial beliefs, which many parts of the Republican Party now believe, everything from uh, lies about the election all the way up to QAnon, and it kind of all goes hand in hand. I think what we're going to see is that this account, this phantom uh, poster online, uh, could actually play a role in upcoming Republican primaries and could cause a bit of chaos in, in the midterms as well when it comes to the, the Republican side of it, it does seem interesting that just as the president is, the former president is, is you know, coming under serious criticism uh, after Cassie Hutchinson's testimony, Q, the Q account pops back up, raising questions about Cassidy Hutchinson. Yeah, Q had not posted since December of 2020, so right after Trump won the election. Remember, Q was promising... Lost that, the election. Sorry, lost the election. Said he won the election. That is going to drive the Q and yeah, people crazy. Yes. So. <laughs> right there, you're, you will now be the subject, as wow. if you haven't been wow. already. I should have. Uh, but... He has not posted since uh, December of, of 2020, uh, came back a few hours after the Roe decision. Uh, and like we saw, uh, mentioned Cassie Hutchinson by name, uh, called her out. And what we have seen in the past when Q calls out someone, they become harassed, uh, as you know yourself. Right. In fact, I spoke with QAnon followers for a special report that, that we did last year. Uh, just listen to, to this guy. Did you at the time believe that Democrat, high-level Democrats and celebrities were worshipping Satan, drinking the blood of children? Anderson, I thought you did that. And I would like to apologize for that right now. Was it something about me that made you think that? It's because Q specifically mentioned you, and he mentioned you very early on. Um, he mentioned you by name. Andrew, what is the significance of Q mentioning Hutchinson and, and what could be, you think, real world consequences? Sure. So, uh, you know, as you and Doni have, have already summarized, there is no significance to the post beyond the fact that he included her name specifically. And it's not because he said anything um, logical or factual. It's just the existence of her name in that in that uh post turns her into a target for people who subscribe to these beliefs. And as you know, uh, Anderson, it's the, the posts are deliberately vague. They're inane. They just raise questions that cannot possibly be answered. Um, and then to throw her name into that conspiratorial milieu is very, very uh, damaging to her in terms of the attention it will bring from people who believe in who knows which one of the QAnon conspiracies. Right, Andrew, because part of the appeal, I think, for people who follow this stuff is that it gives them a focus to, you know, project things onto. It gives them this, like, treasure hunt of, you know, then they just go online and start to kind of imagine stuff about Ms. Hutchinson or whomever it is, and it's they go down all these rabbit holes and invent all this stuff, and it becomes this it's like a, a just this ball rolling that more and more people get in yeah. on it and believe that they're part of some sort of investigation 
that amounts to nothing and is all based on just complete BS. It, it, it is a, it's a cave. It's a cave <laughs> of conspiracies that people project their anger, they project their grievances into, and they extract from it whatever they want. And so if you toss this young woman's name into that conversation, into that froth, you run the risk of that someone who is following these things and who's projecting their own rage and their dissatisfaction about whatever it is in life they're mad about is going to attach her to that. And one of those people, maybe more than one, might decide to take the matter into their own hands uh, and resort to an act of violence in the exact same way that the young man from North Carolina did about the nonsense around Comet Ping Pong Pizza, the pizza restaurant here in Washington, D.C., right. when he'd been digesting all this material, got his car, drove to D.C. on a Sunday with an AR-15 intending to shoot up the place. So, right, believing that uh, there were know, people being held, kids being held in the basement, I mean, for you know, some sort of crazy right. conspiracy theory. Yeah. Uh, in which you said there wasn't a basement, but there is. As well. So the question here is, what's going on? I mean, they obviously can see who posted. Right? Unless it's an internet they don't have. And how many posts? Which ones? See, that's what's weird. So weird. So weird that CNN would be talking about that. It's all a party, isn't it? It's all about complicity. You know, in, in the meantime, aside from animals, human beings are going crazy too. Example, I saw this flash on my computer. A woman literally walked into somebody's house, um, you know, um, made herself, oh, she drank some of a, a white claw. Like, why are you drinking white claw? That's, that's so, I like when I see a man holding a white claw, no offense to those of you that listen to me and drink white claw, I laugh. Okay. No offense. When I see a man with a six pack of white claw, I laugh. Okay. So this chick just walked into somebody's house, um, got a white claw, drank some of it, made a hot pocket, took a bath and was totally chilling in some random person's house, random person's house. Like you know, that's it. She ate a hot pocket, had a bubble bath, totally chilled. And these people come home and they find her and they arrest her. She just took a bath, had some white claw, put it back in the fridge. Of course, after drinking some of it, and I made a hot pocket and just chilled. And she's like, look, the door was unlocked, so I just walked in. So weird. So weird. We have a lot of crazy things. Also, just so you know, the news is filled with how much, you know, health insurers are paying for everything you're doing. It's, it's actually filled. They're talking about it. Because under President Trump's executive order, and they say the Affordable Care Act, which is bullshit, they have to now show people how much they pay for things. And this is something that I've talked about before. For those of you that are over 65 or that are age 54, it's very imperative you listen to those episodes. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people want to say corporations are buying up property, buying up property from people. Do you want to know how they're really buying up property? I already told you. It's called the state recovery. For all those people 
that were on Medicaid because they couldn't afford health care. That worked all their lives to pay off their home. When they die, the state comes back and asks for every single penny they paid to cover your health. The law allows them to repossess, to possess your home and any property you have that's in your name from the age of 55 and over. Medicare does that too. So these corporations are not buying the houses just from people. They're buying it from your state. It's all a plan. And I've, and I've talked about this so many times. You can go on Tory said and find the episodes where I'm talking about my over 65 population and Medicaid and how important it is. So those of you that are 54, any assets you have, bank accounts, houses, cars, sign them over to your kids. They don't even have to know. On your bank account, you could just add them as an and. They won't even know. Well, they might. But you can change it, you know, if you're scared that your kid's going to kill you off to take yourself, which I highly doubt if you're going to sign it over to them. Or just give it straight to your grandkids that are children. Add them on there. They're a minor. And. 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 Not or. And. Add them to the minor grandchildren. Do it before you turn 55. Before you're 55, because if it's after, if you're 55, they can go back to it because Medicare is doing that too. So, um, I just wanted to make that clear because now the, you know, everyone over 65 is on Medicare, but then you get some of your part B premiums through a state funded thing where they will pay the hundred, whatever it's climbed up. It used to be like, like 50 bucks. Now, last time I checked was like $140 for each. For those of you that are over the age of 55 or over the age of 65, sell your house to your grandkid for a dollar. They won't have to pay taxes on it. And, you know, they don't even have to know. Find a good lawyer that'll do that for you, an estate attorney. Sell your car to your grandkid, you know. Speak to your attorney. I'm not a lawyer, but there's got to be a way around it. And um, this is how they're buying up. So when they're buying up farmland, it's people that have died and they've repossessed it. Because they owe money. If you don't have kids and you don't want a corporation or someone random to have it, sign it over to someone you love. They don't even need to know. They don't have to know. They don't have to know. I mean, I don't, I don't see why, you know, people don't think about it. They don't have to know. And then it's that trust thing, right? The trusts, that's another thing. So again, they don't have to know. You could, you could do whatever you want, you know, with your, with your house, your car, your, your, your cups, your phone, your silverware, you have the choice to do whatever you want. So you can put it in a trust for them, sell it to the trust for a dollar. If you can't get rid of it, you sell it. I mean, they'll probably contest that. I, I actually was, um, was in an expert witness in the language barrier stuff in one case a few years ago where the grandfather had sold it to a trust and they tried to claw it back, but they couldn't because it was a minor. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and um, I'm, I'm just pointing out some real things here. You must, you know, take care 
and understand. Don't listen to all the conspiracy theories, kind of like the drinking blood. You understand what we mean by the drinking blood. It's not like literally. You think vampires literally put their teeth in your throat and suck you dry because apparently they have holes in them and suck. Come on, think about it. In this reality construct, does that make sense? Maybe eat you. Okay, people do eat people. More than you know. Right? They make you look crazy. And that guy that shot it up could have been a setup, but it could have been just someone freaking realizing that their federal tax dollars are paying for shit like this to happen. Right? This is, this is it. This is how it's done. People will lose their minds. There are a lot of people that can't sleep at night knowing that they funded something and that shit helped do these crazy things. You know, and they'll double speak. You know, Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, you know, he believes that, um, you know, all these conspiracy theories and that, that, that there's, you know, fetal cells and aborted baby cells and vaccines. And it's like, um, he doesn't believe it. It's in fucking Fauci's emails and they were conspiring not to tell the people. See, how do you publish an article like that when there's evidence that it's true? It's called doublespeak. They'll just keep saying things, hoping that it'll stick and it'll, it'll be considered true because, you know, everyone's saying it. So whatever. Now, um, there's this, uh, show called Adam ruins everything. I want to touch base on insurance again, just a little bit. I think it was kind of funny. So I think we should laugh before we end this show. What could be the downside? Oh, there are a ton. How about the fact that this place rips off folks like you every day? Whatever. I know the hospital is expensive, but it is worth it if I get the best treatment. No, it isn't. American healthcare is not the best in the world. But despite that, we spend more per person annually on healthcare than any other developed nation. And a big part of the reason for that is that American hospitals overcharge patients massively. This neck brace is worth $20, but the hospital charged him $154. This IV bag costs less than a buck, but she was charged $137. These are real prices, folks. Hold up. Wildly inflated healthcare costs? This sounds like the work of politicians to me. Was it Obamacare? Trump aid? McConnell meds? What did you do? I'm not a politician. I'm just a boring white guy. Why does this keep happening? Sorry, Rachel, but this time it's not the politician's fault. The problem starts with something called the Charge Master. The Charge Master is a secret document full of insane prices that hospitals use to charge us whatever they want. Let's go on a trip through the history of medical billing. Wow, I'd rather not. A hundred years ago, hospital pricing was pretty simple. We take the cost of providing care and add a little on top to make a profit. One amputation costs us five bucks, so we'll charge you six fifty. But after the rise of insurance companies, hospital billing got complicated, in part because these gigantic corporations demanded gigantic discounts. We send you thousands of patients every day, so we want... Half off all your prices. We can't afford that. So to please these powerful insurance companies, hospitals cooked up a plan. I've got it. We'll make up a really high fake price and then give you a discount off that. Hey, as long as I get to tell my boss we got it cheaper. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and in less than a century, healthcare prices went from reasonable to nonsensical. Let's make one Tylenol $37. Three stitches, $2,200. Ooh, here's a pitch. What if we made rectal exams 69? Nah, that's too silly even for me. And before we continue this, I just want to tell you, for those of you that have had a baby, right, that have had a baby in a hospital, if you actually look at your itemized bill, you might have been charged a baby holding fee. That's right. When the dad is there and he holds the baby, they charge you 200 and something dollars. I think that was on an itemized bill. It should be somewhere on the news. And my not North Dakota kind of slipped somewhere. <laughs> Someone was kind of woke and put it out there. What do you mean you charge me a baby holding fee? Well, because the dad was in there and he was there and he held his baby. We should charge him for that. Have you ever seen the Medicaid bill when they come after a state? I'll tell you what. Q-tips, $25. Oh, what? Cotton balls. There's an itemized bill. You will find it. It's somewhere on the internet. Look for it. Uh, baby holding fee insurance hospital, Minot, North Dakota search. It was from the hospital, Trinity Healthcare there. It was all over the place. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Somebody who may or may not known someone, you just need to look at your bill. You need to see how much they charge you for shit. Because <laughs> that's the deal. You see, like I told you, what the fuck is the point of insurance? Oh, my fender broke. It's $1,000. Insurance said, all right, I'll pay it. And then you're suddenly paying that $1,000 a shit ton more because your insurance premium just went up for the next fucking two decades because you had a fender bender. When you could have said, hey, Joe, I fucked up your car and I fucked up mine. Um, I'll pay yours and I'll pay mine. I'll put it on my credit card and I'll pay it off slowly. No need for insurance. So that way our premiums don't go up and suddenly you have a deal. As long as Joe is fair. Yeah, he's not always fair. This is why I say you cut out insurance by creating a very specific court that litigates these matters between citizens that can have penalties when they cause tangible harm to another person. You know, like they used to do in the olden times. But, you know, that was olden times. We had slaves then, so all their shit is stupid, right? These crazily inflated prices are kept in the hospital's charge master. <laughs> It's actually a computer file, but the book is more dramatic. $7 for a single alcohol swab? That's ridiculous. And true. Well, I only pay my premium. If they want to rip off my insurance company with their fake prices, what do I care? If you ever lose insurance, you'll care. Because here's the really evil part. If you don't have insurance, you actually get charged these fake prices. Let's see, heart x-rays. That'll be $33,000. I can't afford that. No problem. We'll just garnish your wages. Oh, bogus. Wait, they actually charge people without insurance fake prices? Yeah. That is terrible. Well, thankfully, I have insurance, so the charge master doesn't affect me. Unfortunately, it does. Even if you're insured, you can get billed charge master prices if you go out of network. And anything can be out of network. The hospital you go to, the equipment used to treat you, even the doctors you see. Arrow specialist, out of network, I'm very expensive. Hospitals make a ton of money overcharging out of network patients. It's a real cash cow, and we all get milked. Worse, every hospital has its own charge master. A treatment that costs 7,000 at one hospital could cost 100 grand down the road. And you can't comparison shop when you're dying. <laughs> Which hospital do you want? Moneybags Medical or St. Vincent's Discount Sick House? Moneybags it is. 
Plus, since your insurance company faces inflated costs, that can trickle down to you in the form of higher premiums. Oh, surprisingly painless. Wait till you get the bill. How do they get away with this? Simple. The healthcare industry spends more on lobbying than the oil and defense industries combined. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. I'll take care of you real nice. Say, does this cyst look normal? Oh, God. So how can I stop it? What do I do? Honestly, nothing. We need to go to the hospital, so they have no incentive to change how they do business. And politicians have spent decades arguing over how to pay the bill instead of asking why the bill is so high. Until they do, we're stuck with this system. God, what if I get fired and lose my insurance? I would be ruined. Oh, I feel so anxious. Rachel, the doctor will see you now, down the hall and to your left. Well, then, if I'm going to get ripped off, I might as well score some antibiotics. I want to be done with this cold, and those miracle drugs are worth whatever they cost. Even if it means the end of modern medicine? You are the worst person I have ever met, and I work in finance. Wow, that was a really big truth dose from a leftist type of thing. See, how do we fix this? Well, there's a plan for that, too. President Trump just threw it out there. This is why they hate him. Remember when he said, well, you need to show how much you're charging people. It, because it could have happened that he had that idea when he got that big fat bill showing a baby holding fee. I kid you not. <laughs> you know, he does read everything people send him. And he does listen to everything. So next time your wife has a baby, maybe you don't want to hold a baby because that may cost you 200 to $5,000, depending on what hospital you're at and what insurance you have. See, that's what sucks. And we could all thank the politicians that allowed Obamacare to create the framework not to give you health care, but to protect insurance companies. See why I say impeaching 44 will help a lot. We should just tear it all down. And we need to find people like Dr. Simone Gold and other doctors that will do a la carte medicine. But then the problem is the pharmaceutical companies will be selling them at a premium price because they're not in a network and they don't have an agreement with them. So then we have to figure out what we do with the pharmaceuticals. You see what I mean? This is why we have a problem. For all of you out there that think that President Trump had some magic wand to change shit instantly, you were wrong. Unfortunately, the public is so misinformed and uninformed, and the problems are so vast and many that, you know, how are you going to tackle what? Child trafficking? Human trafficking? Privacy, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, education. Do you know how we fix it? By having an educated populace. And everyone has their specialty, right? They're not all jacks of all trades. There's a ton of you that are teachers. You understand education. So all the teachers that are informed can get together and help find a solution. All the people that understand medicine and the drug companies, they can get together and find a solution like, hey, we're not going to have agreements with foreign countries. We're not going to be making our pharmaceuticals in Mexico because they're cheaper and they get subsidies. So it's cheaper for them. So I buy a pill for, you know, blood pressure for 0, 0.0 cents, 0 0.01 cents, but I'm going to sell it for $35 on insurance. But the copay will only be a dollar because I still made money. You see how that works? You have to deprogram the population by understanding all the intricacies and all the facets. And I know people will be like, damn, 
Tori, you talk about everything from healthcare to engineering to computing to uh, legal policies. No, 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 no. How do you know that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just quantum Google. Who knows? But you can't deny that I'm saying it. And those that have actually watched me do the show know that I don't have notes. It's off the seat of my pants. Always. Like I said, people like me really don't exist. It's like totally different. So let's have some shebang for this Friday. Happy 4th of July and enjoy the fireworks next week. God bless everyone. Have a fantastic weekend. Bang, show number 21 in for 62467. Shabang! Hi, my name's Casey Kasem, and I'll explain this a little bit later. Right now, I'd like to tell you who'll be on our show tonight. First off, all the way from England, Eric Burden and the Animals. Eric Burden and the Animals, they'll be doing uh, one of their biggest selling million sellers and also their brand new record called San Francisco. Also, right here locally from the Los Angeles area, the wonderful Music Machine. The Music Machine. They'll be here to do a thing called Astrologically Incompatible plus another record. So we hope you will join us for the Saturday night edition of... In color from Hollywood, it's Shebang. And here's your host, Casey Kasem. Thank you, everybody. Let's get it all underway with Light My Fire by the Door. I will explain this later. You know that it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, like my father Come on, baby, like my father Try to set me on fire the time you hesitate is through The time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby like my fire Come on baby like my fire Try to Yeah.